Hello, people of the way. Blessings in Jesus. If you have your Bible, please open up to Hebrews chapter 7. Hebrews chapter 7, we continue our study through the New Testament. Now, we're in Hebrews 7, but if you remember our study in Hebrews 5 and 6, we're in Hebrews 5 where the writer says, you have come to need milk. You need someone to teach you again. And then, you know, we get into the elementary principles that have to be learned again and taught again. And then you see in Hebrews 6 how the writer says, let's move on to perfection. But then there's the indication, very specific, if the Lord permits. Now, it begs the question, well, wait a second. Does the Lord not want us to grow? Does the Lord not want us to mature? The answer is no. He wants us to grow. He wants us to mature. But remember, formula, formula. The works of the flesh, they prohibit that growth. I'll give you an example. Say you and me, we're going for a walk. You and me, we're going for a walk. And I say, here, uh, hold this. And it's one pound. Well, no big deal. And then I say, okay, hold on to this. And it's 10 pounds. Eh, no big deal. And then I say, well, you know, hold on to this. And it's 50 pounds. Well, now we're getting into some pretty shaky territory because you might be able to go a mile, two miles, three miles, five miles, but after 100 miles, that 50 pounds is going to be very heavy. It's not going to feel like 50 pounds. It's going to feel like a million pounds. But what if I say, hey, let's go for a walk and uh, here, hold on to this. And I just load you with 500 pounds. You know what? You're not going to be able to walk. You're not going to be able to walk. We're not going to be able to go two feet. Why? Because you got 500 pounds that you're carrying. You're not going to be able to. And that's the flesh. That's the works of the flesh. It's like, you know, the Lord wants us to, to, to walk with them, to run, to run our race and to uh, uh, come to completion. But with the works of the flesh, with the sex, the drugs, the alcohol, the Buddha, the Ouija boards, the occult, and the whole, the whole nine yards, with that, it's like, okay, we're adding five pounds, we're adding 10 pounds, we're adding 500 pounds, we're adding 1,000 pounds, and the Lord knows that. And so when we see in Hebrews 6, if the Lord permits, it's like, well, wait a second, if the Lord permits, but what about us? What about you and me? What about the choice to say, you know what? I'm done with the sex. You know what? I'm done with the crack. You know what? I'm done with the, the Ouija boards. You know what? I'm done with all this. I'm done with those things which so easily hinder us, things that we're going to touch on in our future chapters in Hebrews. What about those, the works of the flesh? Who can carry 500 pounds on their back? Who can carry 1,000 pounds on their back? Who can carry 10,000 pounds on their back and expect to move an inch? Who can carry 10,000 pounds on their back and expect to live? Because, you know, we get into the heavy weights, you know, 10,000 pounds. It's not that you're going to be able to walk. It's you're going to be dead. You see? And that's the flesh. But once we lay aside those things which so easily ensnare us and hinder us and learn to walk according to the spirit, not according to the flesh. Remember, we go from 0% to 5 to 10 to 20 to 80 to 90 
to 99.9 and once you hit 100% you're dead now if you're listening for the first time welcome and you're like what is he talking about 0% 5% 20% what in the world is he talking about go back and listen to our study in all of Hebrews go back to Hebrews chapter 1 and then get yourself caught up and you'll understand all about this percentage and you know while you're at it you might want to go back to 1 Corinthians and get yourself caught up and then you'll learn more about maturing in Christ you'll learn more about the uh, 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 the formula formula within oneself within ourselves within the body within sanctuary and you know also for overseers for pastors and elders very important we are living in the last days we are living in the last days not to suggest that you know like if we were having this conversation 30 years ago or 50 years ago, not to suggest like, okay, it'd be fine to play games with the Lord because it certainly wouldn't be fine to play games with the Lord, but even more so today because we are in perilous times. And so in Hebrews 5, we see how the writer says, hey, you've come to need milk. In Hebrews 6, let us move on to perfection if the Lord permits. And then now we get into Hebrews 7 and we get into deeper things. We go deeper. And I pray for all of us, for every single one of us together, Ecclesia, Episunagage, together in spirit. You say, wait a second, I'm in China. Wait a second, I'm in uh, 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 Chile. Wait a second, I'm in I'm in London. Wait a second, I'm in uh, 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 Afghanistan. Wait a second, I'm in uh, uh, Alaska. That's okay. I'm in Japan. I'm in Tokyo. Wherever it is, we are together and one in spirit. Not according to the flesh, in spirit. One body, many parts, many locations too. And I pray for all of us that we grow and mature, and yes, that we together as one move on to perfection and grasp these weightier matters, that we leave the elementary things. Not to say that the elementary things are, you know, not to neglect them, but understand, you know, that's elementary. There are elementary things. Now, when you go back and you listen to our study from Hebrews 1, you'll understand more. If you're listening for the first time, purpose in your heart to go and listen to those messages. Everything's archived. Everything is archived for you to listen to so that you can grow and we can grow and mature together in Christ. And yes, there are advantages and in this life but you know what it's for paradise because we're not of this world and so in hebrews 7 here in our study in hebrews 7 we begin instruction about melchizedek and we've already seen melchizedek mentioned in hebrews 5 and 6 but now we go deeper now we go deeper now Right here in Hebrews 7, this is kind of like a a chasm, so to speak, because a lot of Christians don't move on to perfection. A lot of Christians, they like to play around with the flesh. They like to, yeah, I believe in Jesus Christ, but I also like my crack. Yeah, I believe in Jesus Christ, but I also like my sex, my drugs, my alcohol, you know, the Ouija boards, you know, the Virgin Mary, the Buddha, and all these things. But I speak to the remnant. The Lord didn't call me to teach the dead. The Lord called me to teach the living. That being the case, let us together move on to perfection. In Hebrews 7, 
Verse 1, for this Melchizedek, king of Salem, very interesting what we see there in the Hebrew, Shalem, Shalem, peace, an early name for Jerusalem, Jerusalem. Notice what we see so far. This Melchizedek is king of Shalem, king of Peace, that's what Shalem means, king of peace, king of Jerusalem. Very interesting what we see already in just one little verse. And we haven't even finished the one little verse. Very interesting what we see so far. Let's continue to examine the text. We see in verse 1, this Melchizedek, king of Salem, priest. This king is also priest. Very interesting what we see emerging in just... We haven't even finished one little verse. You see, in fact, the first mention of priest in the Bible is in reference to Melchizedek. That's from Genesis 14. If you've been walking with us for a while, you remember our study in Genesis. And that's in reference to Melchizedek in Genesis 14, the very first mention of the word priest. It's Melchizedek. Now, understand that Genesis 14 Melchizedek, that's before the establishment of the Levitical priesthood and the Kohanim. Remember our study in, you know, Exodus, Numbers, Leviticus, Deuteronomy? Well, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. Remember? And we see the priesthood, the Levites, the Kohanim, and it's like, wow, it's so beautiful. But before that, there was Melchizedek. A priest. Very interesting what we see so far. Remember chapter 6. In Hebrews chapter 6. In Hebrews chapter 6. If God permits. Remember let us go on to perfection. But if God permits. And I pray that all of us. You know. If if you're a baby in Christ. You might be a baby in Christ because you knew you, you came to Christ last week. You came to Christ today. You came to Christ within the last two months. We'll say a month. But if you're a baby Christian and you've been a Christian for five years, ten years, and you're still on milk, let us all together, let us all together no longer be on milk. And let us together move on to perfection. I'll tell you something that's sad. It is when somebody has been a believer for five plus years. And, you know, when, you know, we have these conversations about deeper matters and deeper, weightier matters of scripture, of the word of God. And it breaks my heart. It's, it, it's, it's not for lack of want because, you know, I want to have, you know, deeper conversations. I desire to have deeper conversations. And I don't say this in, in, a, in a boastful manner at all, in a, in a boastful manner. I don't say it like that. But that's what happens when a person moves on to perfection. And what you're going to find when you choose to move on to perfection and in choosing to move on to perfection, that's kind of a loaded statement because it's not like, you know, well, I want to move on to perfection. Come on, let's go. No, it's, you know, I want to move on to perfection. 
So you have to take off the 500 pounds of sex. You have to take off the 500 pounds of Buddha. You have to take off the 500 pounds of crack. You have to take off the 500 pounds of vodka. You have to take out the 500 pounds of whatever it is which so easily ensnares you. You see? Balls in your court? Balls in our court? Every single one of us has a choice to make. And I don't say this to sound boastful. But you're going to see. When you purpose in your heart, like, you know what? This guy's right. I've been a milk drinker for five years. I've been a milk drinker for 10 years. I've been a milk drinker for 20 years. And you know what? Those days are over. I'm putting aside the crack pipe. I'm putting aside the sex. I'm putting aside the Buddha. I'm putting aside the, the Mary. I'm putting aside the, the vodka. I'm putting aside the gin. I'm putting aside the whatever it is. And you're going to see when you move on to perfection that not a lot of saints do. You're going to see that a lot of Christians are more 1st Corinthian than they are 2nd Corinthian. You're going to see that. And you're going to see it clearly. But you have to take off the 500 pounds of sex. You got to take off the 500 pounds of crack. You got to take out the 500 pounds of pornography, the 500 pounds of Buddha. You got to get rid of it. Ball's in your court. You see? It's not, you know, the, uh, uh, a desire where, you know, I, I want to discuss the deeper, weightier matters, but I cannot, you know, because, you know, I, I don't want to. Most of the time, it's I cannot because of the babiness. Do you remember when Paul, he went to Corinth and, you know, in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, he says, you guys are still on milk. You're still babies. And when he equates babies, he, he doesn't mention like you're new believers. He says you're babies because of carnality, because of the sex, because of the drugs, because of the rock and roll, the extortion. You're still on milk. Straight up. That's what Paul says. I'm paraphrasing, but that's what he says. You see, and Paul, who's this deep, 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 deep well of knowledge. Remember, he would, and remember, knowledge is a gift of the spirit. Understand that knowledge is a gift of the spirit, not the greatest gift. The greatest gift is love. Remember the love chapter from 1 Corinthians 13? If you're listening for the first time, go back and listen to those studies. It's all archived for you. Thewayunderground.com. Thewayunderground.com. It's the hub for the last day's saint. Go and listen. And so we see when Paul says, you know, you guys are still babies to the, to the Corinthian saints, 1 Corinthian saints. In 1 Corinthians chapter 3, you're still on milk. And Paul, who's this deep well of knowledge, he cannot... You know, it would be like, you know, it, it, you have like a two-month-year-old baby, a baby that's two months old. And you know how people are like, oh, cute little baby, cute little baby. And then they have the little bottle and, you know, the, the grandma comes, oh, can I hold the baby? And then a little bottle. And then like the uncle comes and the little bottle. It would be like if a guy comes, you know, say it's like, you know, the, the ant comes. The ant comes and, you know, holds the baby and it has a pork chop in the baby's mouth. Doesn't work. The baby doesn't have teeth. 
It's if that were the case, the one holding the pork chop would be the fool. Why? Because the baby cannot eat the pork chop. The baby's got to have the milk. And that's what I think of when I see Paul. Paul in Corinth is like, listen, you know, and Paul's a deep. Remember, he would go into synagogue and prove that Jesus is the Messiah. From the text, the ancient text, from the scrolls, he would go into synagogue and prove. And that's when he became deadly because all of a sudden the religious leaders, they're like, you know what? We got to kill this guy. Because when you see Paul, when he first comes to Jesus, when he first, people say like, oh, you know, God made him a Christian. No, 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 no. Is it hard to kick against the goads? You say that to a Pharisee, a Pharisee's balls in Paul's court too. Go back and listen to our studies to the book of Acts, and you'll see our reference points to the Old Testament. A lot of times people say, well, you know, God made, God made Paul a Christian. A lot of Calvinists, a lot of Reformed theory people. God made, made, made Paul a Christian. Go back and listen to our studies through the book of Acts. We have our Old Testament references. But you see Jesus when he says, is it hard to kick against the goads? You say that to a Pharisee? Not just, you know, run-of-the-mill Pharisee. This is a Pharisee, former Pharisee of Pharisees, a student of Gamaliel. I say former, you know, but Paul when he was, you know, when, when he was a Christian. But before he came to Christ, he was a straight-up Pharisee of Pharisees, a student of Gamaliel. Gamaliel was a student of the religious leaders. He was a, a teacher of the, of the religious aristocracy, so to speak. Paul wasn't a run-of-the-mill Pharisee of the tribe of Benjamin. And so Paul made his choice. And you see Paul when he was in synagogue, how he would, he would go. When you see Paul when he, was, he first became a believer, he wasn't deadly. He was not deadly at first. But then you see in the course of time, remember he didn't confer with the flesh. You see him grow mature in Christ. And when he becomes deadly, I mean, you know, you put yourself in the sandals of the religious leaders at synagogue. You put yourself in their sandals. It's like, okay, you know, here's, here's Paul. You know, he's, you know, he uh, formerly Saul and people call him Paul now. Okay, that's nice. He's saying this. He's saying that. Okay, that's nice. Little, you know, he, he's not well versed over here. He's not well versed over there. And then like the next month. He's different. The following month, he's different. The following month, he's different. The following year, okay, he's deadly. Paul is deadly now. Before, he would just say these things. That's okay. That's nice. But he would come into synagogue, and now he's proving that Jesus is the Messiah from our text, from the from the Torah, from the scrolls, from the prophets, and he's proving that Jesus is the Messiah. What are we going to do? We got to kill him. You see, Paul became deadly. And praise be to the Lord, because you see this well of knowledge, which is a gift of the Spirit. The knowledge of the Word of God is a gift of the Spirit. And Paul, who has this knowledge, except when he goes into Corinth, he says, I have to give you milk. It, it's like the ant giving the, the, the pork chop. The ant giving the pork chop. The ant would be the fool. And Paul's saying, listen, I can't give you the porterhouse. I can't give you the pork chop. I can't give you the ribeye. I can't give you the baby back ribs. I can't give you the, the, the beef ribs. We cannot eat that, Corinthian saints. Why? Because you still need the bottle. You see? And it's sad. Because you figure, okay, they're babies. No big deal. 
Well, it wouldn't be a big deal if, you know, they the, 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 the church was just founded like, you know, within the last month, within the last two months. It wouldn't be that much of a big deal if, you know, everybody there was a brand new believer. But for three years, three years arrested development, no growth, no maturity in Christ. The very thing that we see in Hebrews, where in Hebrews 5, you know, you guys are on milk. Hebrews 6, you know, uh, you know uh, uh, let us move on to perfection if the Lord permits. And you see in Corinth, you, we, when you do an overlay of Hebrews 5 and 6, and you do an overlay of Hebrews 5, 6 with 1 Corinthians 3, 4, and 5. And that's what's so beautiful about having, remember, like when we have like the base plate of Torah, the base plate of, you know, Genesis, uh, Exodus, uh, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. And we have that base plate. And then we get into the book of Joshua. And now we're going to begin our study in the book of Judges. And then we're going to continue to move along and study our Old Testament studies on Wednesdays. You know, if you're listening for the, for the first time, you know, Wednesdays we do the Old Testament. The majority of the time, you know, 99.32% of the time. But as the Lord leads, there might be some moments where it's like, okay, we, we're going to study something different. I mean, within the word, but I meant, you know, Old Testament on Wednesdays. And with the base plate of Torah, the, 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 uh, the Pentateuch, the five books of Moses, you know, like, like, uh, like uh, 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 Penta, five, the Pentateuch. And when we have the first five books of Moses, which is the Torah, and we have that base plate, now you're going to see exactly why the Lord responds the way he does. Remember, the Lord is reactionary. He never changes. The Lord is reactionary. He responds to wickedness. He responds to righteousness. He responds to obedience. He responds to disobedience. And he responds to repentance. And praise be to the Lord. And when you're going to see when things go amiss, when things go afoul with Israel, you're going to see how the Lord responds. And it's not going to be a shocker. It's not going to be a, a surprise. I mean, you know, Sometimes, like, you know, the, uh, the, the, the depth of disobedience, it can be a shocker. The depth of obedience can be a shocker in a beautiful way, in a good way. The, de the depth of obedience. Now, just like Hannah and Samuel, I mean, that, that obedience is off the charts. But they had faith. They had faith. Not, not a lot of people reached faith in the Old Testament. But some did. And we see how the Lord works in them and through them, just like with Hannah and Samuel. But you're going to see in our studies in the Old Testament, when you understand the nature and character of our Lord, and with the base plate of Torah, it's understandable. Like, wow, Lord, I get it. I understand why you're doing what you're doing. I understand why, you know, you say you're going to use the uh, 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 the priests, but you can't. And so you go to the prophets, you know, just, just like with Samuel. In Samuel, you know, there was no widespread revelation in those days. There was silence in those days. The Lord was silent in those days. But then you read Torah and it's like, well, wait a second, the Lord's, and forgive me for saying it like this, and I don't mean any disrespect to the Lord, but according to Torah, the Lord should be speaking to the high priest. 
But in the case of Eli, the Lord was not speaking to Eli, who was the high priest. Why? Because of his sin. The formula wasn't right in Eli. He was on the wrong frequency. Remember the radio station? We, gotta, we, we want to listen to classical music. And so we're at, you know, 92.8. And we want to listen to the classical music. We're on 92.8. And boom, we're listening to classical music. Nice little, little waltz here, little waltz there. Beautiful. But then... If somebody turns the dial, we're not listening to classical music anymore. We can't hear classical music anymore because we're on the wrong frequency. Now, it's there, 93.2 or whatever station. I think it was 92.3 or 93.2. But we're there. We're, you know, the classical, the classical music, it's playing at 93.2. That's the station we got to be at. But if somebody turns the dial too far left, no, we're not going to hear it. It's there. It's playing but what's required is that we have to be on the right frequency you see nobody turns the dial and say well you know the the radio station you know they caught on fire you know the, the radio station's gone there is no radio station it's like no you just got to turn the dial make sure you're at 92.3 or 93.2 i forget what i said 93.2 or 92.3 we're on the classical station you see but it's the same thing with the Lord. We have to be on His frequency. We have to be on His frequency. You say, oh, I, I don't hear from the Lord. I can't hear from the Lord. Well, He's got a frequency. We have to, it's you and me. We have to be on the right frequency. Because if we go too far left, we're not going to be able to hear. Remember, when Jesus Christ would speak, you know, to those who have ears. To those who have ears, you know, people were getting in tune with this frequency, this holy frequency. And Jesus would say to those who have ears, to those with ears, let them hear. Because boom, frequency, right frequency, boom, they have ears to hear, you see. And when the word goes forth, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. That's what the word says. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. All of a sudden, boom, people became Christians right there. Now, that's the model that we see in the Bible. But that model isn't over. That model is still in effect. The question is, who has ears to hear today? Who's on the right frequency? You see? And we have this base plate of Torah, the studies of the Old Testament, the, the Pentateuch, the five books of Moses. And you're going to see exactly why the Lord does what he does. It's going to be, you know, it's not going to be surprising. Sometimes it might be surprising. But when you have this understanding of the base plate, it's like, wow, Lord, I get it. I see why you're doing what you're doing. It's not because you changed, because your word, Lord, says you never changed. It's because the people changed. They're on the wrong frequency. You see? And you might say, well, wait a second, that's the Old Testament, that's Israel. Hold the phone there, my friend. It's the same today. Christians on the wrong frequency. Prophetically speaking, that's called apostasy, and that's prophesied to happen. Apostasy. Oh, yeah, I love Jesus. God is love, and I love Jesus, but you know what? I really love my crack. I love Jesus, but I also like my sex. I love Jesus, but I also like my vodka. I like Jesus, but I also like Buddha. It doesn't work that way. Wrong frequency. It's you and me. We got to be on the right frequency. You see? And just in that same example with the Old Testament, as new covenant believers, 
As new covenant believers, you and me, we have to be on the right frequency. You got 500 pounds of sex, get rid of it. 500 pounds of crack, get rid of it. 500 pounds of alcohol, get rid of it. Because the saints in Corinth, they could not move forward. They could not grow. Remember in Hebrews 6 says, you know, if God permits, let us go on to perfection. With the leaven, the church in Corinth could not move forward. But when Paul says, you know, Paul was on alert by Chloe. Beautiful, beautiful Chloe. I'm so in love with Chloe. Beautiful, beautiful woman of God. I'm so in love with her. Her witness, her countenance, her stand, her steadfastness. And those in her household, they say, hey, Paul, we got a problem over here. They go to their covering, male covering. Covering always male. Now, if you're listening for the first time, and you're female. Understand, you know, when you go back in our, in, and listen, you know, and you, you go back to our studies and how to grow and mature in Christ. And you'll understand, like, there is male covering. And I'll, sometimes I have these conversations with females and they get mad. Like, oh, you know, like, I don't want to have a male covering. I don't want to have a male covering. And then I say, like, well, who's your pastor? And they say, well, it's this guy. Okay, you don't want that male covering because he's disqualified. Well, I've been going to this other, you know, let me see his doctrine. Check out his doctrine. Okay, you know, good to go. Doctrine. Go back and listen to our studies, pastoral epistles. And you'll see what the qualifications are. The Bible indicates. Remember, it's the pastoral epistles, those are one-on-one -on -one letters. You know, it's like, you know, dear Timothy. And then he said, Paul says what he has to say, you know. And with the letter, okay, Paul. Sincerely, Paul. And then, you know, the second letter. Dear Timothy, he writes, says what he has to say. You know, sincerely, Paul. Dear Titus, he says what he has to say. Sincerely, Paul. Dear Philemon, says what he has to say. Sincerely, Paul. Those are one-on-one -on -one letters. You know who leaked them? The Lord. The Lord leaked those letters. Captured in the full counsel of his word. Captured in the canon of scripture. Why? So that you and me can know more and more and more about formula. What the qualifiers are for overseers. Because the Bible says, submit to your pastor. Submit to your the overseer because they watch out for your soul. Can anybody just submit to any run-of-the-mill pastor? The answer is no. That's very dangerous. You cannot do that. You cannot do that. You can't just, you know, the, 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 the church building is right here. It says it has a big cross, you know, has a picture of a Bible. It says church on there. It says Christianity on there. It says truth on there. You can't submit to just run-of-the-mill pastor. You have to know not just what they teach. Doctrine is paramount. But also, remember, it opens up the home. When overseers, it opens up the home. You say, wow, he's a really nice guy, but you know what? His wife's a crackhead. Do not submit. Because if he can't take care of his house, how can he take care of the church? You say, wow, you know, he's a nice guy. His wife's a nice lady, but you know, his daughter's a sex head. His son's a sex head. No, because you open the family. The Bible opens up the family and says, look at the, look at the home of the overseer. Because if he can't take care of his home, if he can't manage his own home, how can he do it with the people of God? How can he do it with the house of God? If he can't do it with his own house.
You see? The Lord leaked those letters so that we can know. And so Paul, on alert by Chloe, led by the Spirit, and he finds out about the leaven in the church, and he says to the saints in Corinth, he says, your rejoicing isn't good. Picture that. You know how hardcore that is? Picture a church. You know, people have their hands up. They're praising the Lord. You know, you have the worship band and everything is, you know, the worship team. Every, they're singing, their hands up. Everybody's saying hallelujah. And then somebody comes in. Hey, guys, we got a letter from Paul. The pastor comes out and reads it and says, Paul says our rejoicing is not a good thing. You know how many Christians today would be mad? Oh, how dare Paul say that? He's so mean-spirited. He's not of the Lord because, look, God is love, and you look, we're gathering, and we're Christians. And Paul didn't say, you're not Christians. Remember our study in Thessalonians? Paul says, you know, the, the, the word of God, Paul led by the Spirit. Don't say they're not Christians, but you have to separate. That's what blows me away about Calvinists. Like, you know, you read Thessalonians, you know, and it says, you know, don't say they're not Christians. And then you have Calvinists. Oh, they were never a Christian. He never was a Christian. She never was a Christian. It's like, what? That, the Bible says don't do that. And picture that, Paul. Hey, we got a letter from Paul. Pastor reads it. Oh, look, he says, you know, Greetings. He loves us. We're saints. And then boom, the hammer drops. Drops. Your rejoicing isn't good. What? Oh, Paul so mean. Paul so mean. Paul so mean. You know who says Paul is mean? The leaven. And Paul says your rejoicing isn't good. Why? He doesn't. It's not just a blanket statement. Like you know, hey, you guys, your rejoicing isn't a good thing. Okay, have a nice day. No, he doesn't say that. He says your rejoicing isn't good, but he indicates why. Why? Because there's leaven in the camp. And it's hardcore. You know, he, he indicates why. He says there's things that are happening in the church that not even the non-believers don't even do that. And you guys call yourself Christians? And then he speaks to the remnant. And he says, okay, remnant, separate from the leaven. Now, once that separation happens, I'm not trying to say like it's easy. There are difficulties associated with separation from leaven. There are absolutely difficulties. But remember, our loyalty, your loyalty, my loyalty is to Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ. To the shepherd. The good shepherd. And so Paul says, separate. Now you have the separation. On one side, you have the leaven. I should say, on the outside, you have the leaven. On the inside, you have the remnant. Now, for the remnant, now they can move on to perfection. Now, you know, with the, with the leaven, the Lord was not permitting. The Lord was not permitting. Why? Because of the leaven. The removal of the leaven, okay, now the Lord is permitting. Now, let's get you cleaned up. You see? Let's get you cleaned up. Let's let's move on to these weightier matters. But it's not immediate. It's not like, okay, you know, here you are, the fresh remnant. Okay, so, you know, now let's, you know, go into the deep things. No, 
It's like, you know, let, let you know, we, we got to go back to first grade, second grade, third grade, fourth grade, fifth grade, because now when you get into first Corinthians uh, six and seven, you know, marriage, Paul starts teaching about things that should have been understood already, but they weren't understood because the pastors in Corinth, the elders of Corinth were defunct. Yeah, they had the pastor parking spot, but they were biblically disqualified. Yeah, they had the little badge on their chest that says, oh, you know, head pastor, the other guy, oh, co-pastor, the other guy, you know, elder, head elder, the other guy, you know, co-elder. And yeah, they, they had overseers. They filled the position of overseers, but they were def defunct. They were disqualified. And as a result, there was no growth in Corinth. And then you take the remnant. Now, the separation has happened. First Corinthians 5, the separation has happened. And now the Lord is permitting you see, and now the Lord is permitting, just like we see in Hebrews six, you know, let us move on to perfection. If the Lord permits, there was emphasis in chapter six of Hebrews for a reason that, you know, let us move forward. You know, if the Lord permits, because when the Lord is permitting, that's when people in their heart, in their mind, in their soul say, you know what? I'm done with the milk. I'm done with the milk. And maybe separation has to happen. Depending on your situation, you might be in a fellowship where you realize like, wow, my pastor's defunct. My pastor's disqualified. If you have a female pastor, disqualified. Oh, but she's really nice. She's a really good teacher. Listen, pastors, elders, always male. In the Bible, always male. It's you and me that aligns to the Bible. Now, I, I, I have these conversations with females and, you know, it, it really like, you know, goes against the grain with, with, with females, not all females, but some females nowadays, kind of quite a bit of females. But understand when you see formula, when you understand formula for my sisters in Christ, it's very beautiful to submit yourself to the qualified pastor. It's very because the qualified pastor, he's not going to throw anything in your face like, oh, I'm male, I'm male, and you are female. No. The biblically qualified pastor knows that in Christ, there is no male or female. In Christ, there is no slave free. In Christ, there is no Jew Gentile. The biblically qualified pastor knows that. And he, you know, he's not going to throw this around and be like, oh, look, you know, look how awesome I am. Look how awesome I am. And oh, you're just pee on woman. No. Carnal pastors do that. Disqualified pastors do that. Wolves do that. But the shepherds, the qualified shepherds, they do not do that. If you're in a fellowship where the formula is wrong, you have to jump ship. You have to jump ship. We are living in the last days and judgment comes first to the church. And if the formula is wrong in that church, it's not just that you're facing a Laodicean church, which is very possible. And if not, if not that being 100% the case, but it's that such a church will face judgment. Prophetically speaking, judgment comes first to the church. So when you hear us say jump ship, it's not like, well, you know, jump ship and, you know, have a nice life. No, jump ship and welcome aboard. Welcome aboard. Let us grow and mature together on our way to paradise. Paradise. 
the promised land according to faith. According to promise, heirs of Abraham by faith. You see? And so in the case of Corinth, when the leaven is gone, all of a sudden those saints, the remnant, they can grow and mature and move on to perfection. The Lord is willing. You see? With the leaven, the Lord is not willing. It's not to say that he doesn't want it. But once the leaven is gone, okay, the Lord is willing. And you might have to, you might have to separate. You're in a fellowship. It's like, oh my goodness, you know, my pastor's disqualified. The formula's wrong in the fellowship. The formula's wrong in sanctuary. The formula's wrong here. And it's like, you know, you, you hear us say, you know, take off the 500 pounds of sex and the 500 pounds of crack and the 500 pounds of Buddha and the 500 pounds of yoga and the 500 pounds of vodka. But what about the 10,000 pounds of false doctrine? You see? When you hear us say, you know, lay aside those things which so easily ensnare you, it might even be a church. It might even be a Christian. You say, well, how can that be? Remember, Thessalonians and Corinthians and First Corinthians, First Corinthians chapter one, saints. First Corinthians chapter two, saints. First Corinthians, First Corinthians chapter three, saints, but your babies. First Corinthians chapter four, saints. First Corinthians chapter five, saints, but there has to be separation. First Corinthians chapter six, saints, but remnant. No more living. You see? They jump ship. And when they jump ship, now they could move on to perfection. And that might be you. I'm not trying to say it's a piece of cake. Like, you know, you know, you tell your pastor, hey, listen, I can't fellowship here anymore. Now he's a money preacher, he's gonna be Really sad, but not for you, not for your soul, because his wallet, you see? But you tell your pastor, listen, I can't fellowship anymore. He says, why? You say, well, pastor, you're on your third marriage. You see? The Bible says that's adultery. The Bible says you're an adulterer. That's what the Bible says, pastor. The Bible says you're disqualified, pastor. The Bible says I shouldn't have been calling you pastor, even though you had the pastor parking spot. Oh, man. You see? And so you jump ship. And when you jump ship, the Lord knows. He knows. You jump ship. And yes, there's going to be that brokenheartedness because sometimes, you know, I have this conversation with people and they've been going to the same church for 10 years, 20 years, 30 years, and... It's like, it's difficult. But let me ask you something. Knowing that the Lord is able, the Lord is willing, and with Him nothing is impossible, do you think that He's going to see your broken heart and do nothing? Do you think he's going to see your broken heart and not respond? Because if that's the case, 
And I tell you the truth, you are wrong. When you jump ship, the Lord's going to see. And he's, he's, he wants you to grow. He's, he wants you to grow and mature. Because, you know, growing and maturing, it's not like, you know, head knowledge. You know, when we say growing and maturing, it's not like, oh, wow, you know, you have your doctorate in theology. No, that's the ways of man. Because when we together, when we grow and mature and become deadly in Christ, the good deadly, not the bad deadly, the good deadly, wolf killers, metaphysically speaking. When we grow and mature in Christ, we go from 0% to 10% to 80% to 90%. You know what's happening? It's not head knowledge. It's not our heads are getting, you know, our egos are getting big. No. We're growing deeper and deeper and deeper and deeper with Him, with the Lord. Do you think He's not going to heal your broken heart? Do you think the gifts in the, of the Spirit are not going to be poured out? Do you think His mercy his blessings will not be poured out because you're mistaken if that's the case and i love you you're mistaken if that's the case so hebrews 6 says if god permits and in the case of corinth god didn't permit why was that need i ask look at the flesh look at the leaven and once the leaven was taken out of Corinth, we have the remnant. And for the remnant, God permitted. And then we get into 1 Corinthians 6 and 7. Now, don't forget, there were the little love taps, the little double taps. You know, when Paul says, do I praise you in this, Corinthian saints? Nope, nope, I do not praise you in this. Do I praise you in that, Corinthian saints? Nope, I don't praise you in that. And then we get into 2 Corinthians, where the saints are even more mature. And in that state of maturity, growing deeper and deeper in love with the Lord, that's when Paul says, for the former leaven, if they want to come back, he says, welcome them back. Bring them back in. Because now, in their state of leavenness, their state isn't powerful enough to bring you down. It's the opposite. Now you're more mature to where that former leaven, they've repented and they've come back to Christ and they're walking with the Lord. Now you're mature now so that you can lift that person up. In the Old Testament, in the New Testament, and even today, it's sad when the Lord is silent. It's devastating when the Lord is silent. When there's a famine of the word of God, which is prophesied to happen. It's happened before in history. A famine of the word of God. You know what happens when there's a famine according to the flesh? People die. People get sick, they get weak, and they die. How much worse is it according to the spirit when there's a famine of the word of God? But when you read and understand the Old Testament, the New Testament, the nature and character of God, you can understand fully why the Lord is silent. It's easy to understand his silence. It's because of the heart of men. No longer jello. They're hard. In some cases, they're stone. 
In some cases, they're pine and oak. Not stone yet. For the pine and the oak heart and the the maple heart and the balsa heart, there's always hope. Remember, we want hearts, hearts to be as soft as jello. You know what that is? That's circumcision. I shouldn't even say as soft as jello. Softer than the softest jello. And that's what we want. You see? And it's so powerful when we understand these things because all of a sudden it's like, whoa, you see in verse one, in Hebrews seven, verse one, this Melchizedek, king of Salem, and he's priest. And he's priest of the most high God. And it's like, wow, what's happening here? Because we've laid aside those things which so easily ensnare us, the sex, the drugs, the rock and roll. Those are no longer 500 pounds on our back. Those are no longer 2,000 pounds on our back. False doctrine, that's no longer 10,000 pounds on our back. Now it's like, wow, you know, it's like, wow, I don't have this weight on the back. Thus fulfills what Jesus says. When Jesus says, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Sometimes I have these conversations with Christians and like, man, I'm, I'm so weighted down. I'm so weighted down with this and that. Well, it's not the Lord. Don't, don't blame the Lord for that. Let's look at your life. What's going on? What's up with the sex? What's up with the drugs? What's up, what's up with the crack? What's up with the false doctrine? Why, why are you going to church where they want to go grave soaking? Why are you going to, why are you submitting yourself to yourself to a pastor who said, in, in, according to that doctrine, go ahead and take the mark of the beast, you'll still be saved? Why? Remember, the Bible warns of false Christs, false gospels, false spirits propagated by false teachers. And when you align yourself, to Jesus, the biblical Jesus, the real Jesus, whose word is above his name. And when you align yourself to him and yield to him, take off the 500 pounds of sex, the 500 pounds of crack, the 500 pounds of vodka, the 10,000 pounds of false doctrine. Thus fulfills what the word of God says, that his yoke is easy and his burden is light. You see? And so look what we see here in verse 1. This Melchizedek, king of Salem, priest of the Most High God. Now, before the priesthood told, before the priesthood was even told to Moses, I mean, let, I mean we have this backdrop, we have this base plate of Torah. And we, you see in, in, in Exodus and towards the end of Exodus, how the rules, the blueprints were given to Moses. And then you get into Leviticus and it's like, okay, now this you know, Leviticus, the, the carrying out of those blueprints. Then you get into Numbers and Deuteronomy and you see a little bit, you know, life intertwined with the law. The good, the bad, and the ugly. But before the priesthood was told to Moses, there was a priest of the Most High God who was also king of Shalem, peace, Jerusalem. Very interesting what we see. Let's continue. 
And this Melchizedek, king of Salem, in verse 1, priest of the Most High God, who met Abraham, returning from the slaughter of the kings. Now, that sounds violent. Like, whoa, Abraham slaughtered the kings? Sounds violent. And it is. It's, it's violent. It's the war footing of Abraham. Remember in our, in our study in uh, uh, Joshua, the war footing of Israel? Well, there was a war footing of Abraham. What happened was Lot. Lot was taken captive. And Abraham, you know, had a mindset of not on my watch. And so Abraham goes on his rescue mission. Now, here in Hebrews 1, we read that, you know, Abraham was returned from the slaughter of the kings. And yeah, it's like, whoa, he slaughtered kings. But let's consider this from another perspective as new covenant believers. The slaughter of the wolves. From another perspective. The slaughter of the wolves. Remember, baby girl? Remember, baby girl, where in the example we, we've given before and will continue to give, where you tell baby girl, baby girl, stay here in this house and I'm going to, I'll be back. Stay here, baby girl. And I'm going to go prepare a place for you. But you stay here what's nice and safe, baby girl. Now, you go, you come back, baby girl is gone. Baby girl is gone. What happened? Number one, you did not lose her. You did not lose her. You know what happened? Baby girl walked away. That's what happened. Baby girl walked away. Now, say for example, you know, you say, baby girl, stay here. I'm going to go prepare a place for you. And you go and while you're gone, she gets a knock at the door. She gets a knock at the door. And you know what it is? Big bad wolf. Except she doesn't see the guy as the big bad wolf. She sees him as, you know, nice guy. Nice guy with his white teeth and his nice smile and he's dressed nice and he really seems like a nice guy. And all of a sudden, she leaves the safety of that house and she walks away with this guy. She's seduced by the guy. She believes the guy and she walks away with the guy. She is no longer in the house. Number one, you did not lose her. Number two, she walked away. That's an example of apostasy. She walked away. Now, using the same example, what if there was a guy who said, you know what? Not on my watch. And he goes on a rescue mission. And he goes and he slaughters the wolf. Metaphysically speaking, but he slaughters the wolf. Like just straight up slaughter. Dead wolf. And he takes, picks up baby girl and brings her back to the safety of the house. You see? Baby girl's nice and safe once again. And baby girl has now learned like, whoa, that guy was a wolf. I didn't realize it at the time, but that guy was a wolf. You see? Now we look at verse 1 and, you know, Abraham returning from the slaughter of the kings. And you think, oh, wait a second, you know, an Old Testament example of Lot being taken, I mean, you know, Lot was taken captive, but an Old Testament example for you and me to apply in our lives. Like, wow, you know, it's like a shepherd. A shepherd keeping baby girls safe. Because remember, you said, baby girls, stay here. I'm going to go prepare a place for you. And you come back. In the first scenario, baby girl was gone. You did not lose her. Baby girl walked away. But in the second case, when you have the wolf killers, you come back and baby girl safe and sound. Why? Because the wolf killer did exactly that. 
he killed wolves. Metaphysically speaking. Now, in the case of Abraham, pre-New Covenant, pre-Old Covenant, under different rules of engagement, Abraham rescued Lot, who was taken captive. You see? And so Melchizedek, this Melchizedek, in verse 1, king of Salem, Shalem, priest of the Most High. This is before the priesthood given to Moses. Before that, before the law, this Melchizedek, priest of the Most High God, who met Abraham returning from the slaughter of the kings, Abraham who slaughtered the kings because Lot was taken captive, and this Melchizedek blessed him. Abraham was blessed by this Melchizedek, priest of the Most High and king of peace, king of Jerusalem, king of Shalem. Remember, in Genesis 14, if you've been walking with us for a while, a, a, a while, you remember. I mean, I pray you remember, but hopefully you remember. You know what? Just remember. <laughs> and in Genesis 14, verse 18, he reveals that Melchizedek came with bread and wine. Sound familiar? As New Covenant believers, we know all about new wine. We know all about the bread of life. And this priest, Melchizedek, blesses Abraham after his rescue mission of Lot. And notice in verse 2, Abraham blesses him too. Here we are in Hebrews 7, verse 2. To whom also Abraham gave a tenth part of all. First being translated. Now in the Greek, this translates as first interpreted as so you know in verse 2 to whom also abraham gave a tenth part of first interpreted as king of righteousness or being translated as or you know first being translated as first interpreted as king of righteousness very interesting what we see here that's melchizedek in the hebrew melech tzedek it's king of righteousness. Do you see what we, we see starting to emerge here from this Melchizedek? King of Salem, priest of the Most High, blesses Abraham. Name translates as King of Righteousness. Whoa. Can you see what's happening? Remember, We've laid aside the 500 pounds of sex and the 500 pounds of crack and the 500 pounds of vodka and the 500 pounds of Buddha and the 10,000 pounds of false doctrine. You and me, we're walking. And the yoke of our Lord is easy and his burden is light. We're no longer laden down with the 10,000 pounds, the 20,000 pounds, where it's like, you know, we're dying because we've laid aside those things which so easily ensnare us and we're no longer ensnared. And God permitting, we can grasp this understanding of the deeper, weightier matters moving away from the elementary. I mean, I'm assuming you've been to kindergarten. I'm assuming you've been through first grade. I'm assuming you've been to second grade. You don't do those things anymore. 
the things that are learned in kindergarten, the things that are learned in first grade, the things that are learned in second grade. It's not to say that they, they were not beneficial. It's not to say that it wasn't important. It was very important in growth and maturity, but leaving aside the elementary principles. But the same thing applies to our faith. It's not denying the elementary principles. It's recognizing and acknowledging those are the elementary principles. And I pray that all of us can have a deeper understanding and grasp what is being said here in Hebrews 7. The writer of Hebrews says it himself. Remember chapter 5. You know what? You guys are on milk. Chapter 6. Put aside the milk. Let us move on to perfection. Lord permitting. Lord permitting. That's like, okay, get rid of the 20,000 pounds. And then all of a sudden, boom, chapter 7. Deeper, deeper, deeper matters, which coincide to, you know, old covenant. Not even old covenant because covenant is the law, but even before the law because this Melchizedek, priest of the Most High, before the priesthood given to Moses. So what's happening here? Notice here in verse 2, and then also, or in the Greek, and then after that. So we see, in verse 2, first being translated or first interpreted as king of righteous righteousness. And then also, which in the Greek is, and then after that, you see like this order of operations. First, king of righteousness, and then king of Salem, king of Shalem, which is king of peace. Remember Jesus says, do not think that I came to bring peace. Very interesting that Jesus says that. He's the prince of peace. And yet he says, do not think that I came to bring peace. You know why? Because presently, the Prince of Peace, Jesus, is not yet king. In our hearts, yes. King of our hearts, yes. Absolutely, 100%. Jesus is king. But physically, not yet. That's a pending matter. That's when, according to the prophet Isaiah, governments will be on his shoulders. Government will be placed on his shoulders. Remember, unto us a child is born. That's done. That's fulfilled. The child has been born. But the government on his shoulders, that's a pending matter. Spiritually speaking, it's already happened for Christians. It's already happened. Because you and me, we choose to be governed by the Lord. Remember, with, uh, 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 with Jacob... With Jacob, you know, he, he, he no longer do I call you Jacob. I call you Israel, governed by God. It's the same thing applies to the believer. Where it's like, wow, you know, when I was, uh, when I was younger before I came to Christ, you know, the sex, the drugs, the Buddha, whatever, the chakras, the crystals, you know, the Virgin Mary, uh, the, the yoga, all these things were in play. But then once a person in their heart just says, you know what? No. I'm walking with you, Lord. I'm putting aside those things. Those things are over. That's for the dead guy. That's for the dead lady. Because remember, we reckon the old man dead. We reckon the old woman dead because we are new creations in Christ. And Jesus is king of our hearts. King of kings and Lord of lords in our hearts were governed by the Lord because we choose to yield to the Lord. Don't forget, we have the helper too, the Holy Spirit, the Paracletus, as a seal. 
And then all of a sudden, when Jesus is crowned king of kings, physically, that's a pending matter. That's a pending matter soon, but it's a pending matter still. And so it's like, wait a second. Now we see verse two a little differently because, you know, first being translated as king of righteousness, but then after that king of peace, you start to see like, wait a second, what's happening here? Notice in verse three, without father, without mother, without genealogy, having neither beginning of days nor end of life, but made like the son of God remains a priest continually. You say, wait a second, made like the son of God? It translates in the Greek here as a model that is made like an image. And the image is the son of God. Well, how can this be? One might ask the question, how can this be? But don't forget John 1 verse 1. In the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. You say, wait a second, I'm Jewish. I'm Jewish. Well, Genesis. In the beginning, Elohim, the triune nature of God. In the beginning, Elohim. You know, John 1 says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. You say, wait a second, I'm Jewish, I'm a rabbi. Okay. Genesis. In the beginning, Elohim. You say, wait a second, but Hebrews 7 says he's without father. Genesis is precede. Don't forget. Genesis is pre-seed. The Pharisees and the religious leaders, they thought Jesus was crazy. In, in the earthly ministry of Jesus, they thought Jesus was crazy. And all due respect to the Lord, but that's what they thought. I mean, before they wanted him dead. I mean, in the book of John, chapter 8, verse 56, Jesus said to them, you know, when he's speaking to the Pharisees and the religious leaders in John 8, verse 56, he says, your father Abraham. Notice, he doesn't say our father Abraham. He says, your father Abraham. Remember, Jesus, he says, your father Abraham. He does not say our father Abraham. He says, your father Abraham, he rejoiced to see my day. He saw it and was glad. And the religious leaders, they were taken aback. They were like, what? The religious leaders, the religious establishment, they marveled. And then they respond. They say to him, you're not even 50 years old. And you talk about Abraham like you've seen him. You talk about Abraham like, like you were just hanging out with him. You're not even 50 years old. And you talk like, like you guys are friends. You know what Jesus says? I meant... He goes further than Abraham. He says, most assuredly, I tell you, before Abraham was, I am. <laughs> you know what the blind say? Blasphemy. You know what the living say? My Lord and my God, as we bow down to worship him. The blind cry out blasphemy, but those with eyes to see and ears to hear the living cry out, my Lord and my God. And in verse 3, he remains a priest continually, this Melchizedek. Remember, Hebrews 7 is not 
Hebrews 5 and it's not Hebrews 6. You say, wait, that's a no-brainer. I mean, it's Hebrews 7. It's not Hebrews 5 or 6. It's no-brainer, and I get it. It's no-brainer. But it's, it's deeper than that. To be in Hebrews 7, it's a lot loaded in that. That means we have laid aside those things which so easily ensnares us. That, that, that means we're moving on. That means that we don't consider ourselves to be in preschool anymore. We don't consider ourselves to be in first grade anymore, second grade anymore, because we're moving on to perfection. Not unlike 1 Corinthians chapter 6. And from there, the remnant, we grow, we mature. And notice what happens here in verse 4. Now consider how great this man was, to whom even the patriarchs, speaking about Melchizedek now, and consider how great this man was. Even the patriarch Abraham gave a tenth of the spoils. Now to all the seed of Abraham, according to the flesh, according to the flesh, according to the flesh, according to the flesh, to all the seed of Abraham and all that implies Consider the greatness of this Melchizedek to all the seed of Abraham, according to the flesh. Consider the greatness of this Melchizedek. Now, to the heirs of Abraham, according to the spirit, consider the greatness of Jesus, son of promise, son of God. Nevertheless, we continue. In verse 4, even the patriarch Abraham gave a tenth of the spoils in verse 5. And indeed, those who are sons, those who are the sons of Levi, who receive the priesthood. Who receive the priesthood. Notice, these are the priests. These are the priests. This is the law that was given to Moses. Remember the, the blueprints given to Moses in exodus towards the end of exodus and moses goes up into the mountain and he's in the cloud and who's outside that cloud joshua in the mountain beautiful beautiful moses and joshua and moses in the cloud he's receiving the blueprints and the lord is pouring into him and teaching him and showing him illustrating to him and showing him about these blueprints of the priesthood and this is According to the law given to Moses, where Aaron was high priest, Eleazar was high priest. And here in verse 5, the writer is indicating those sons of Levi who received the priesthood. Have a commandment to receive tithes from the people according to the law, that is, from their brethren, though they have though they have come from the loins of Abraham. Notice the greatness of what God has done. And the greatness of who he is. To the seed of Abraham, and most importantly, to the heirs of Abraham, to those who have ears. I mean. Seed of Abraham and heirs of Abraham are not the same. Are not the same. I mean, in some cases it can be. I mean, if you're, you know, depending on your tribe according to the flesh, 
seed of Abraham and heirs of Abraham can be the same. But I speak as a Gentile. I speak as an heir of Abraham. Now, depending on your present day tribe, according to the flesh, you might see that as blasphemy. He says he's an heir of Abraham, but he's a Gentile. But I speak according to faith. According to faith. And that's what the writer is talking about here. Something greater. Something greater. Someone greater. We're starting to see the loopholes that are in the law. Yes, loopholes that are in the law, making the distinction between the priesthood who are the sons of Levi and the priesthood of another order, the order of Melchizedek. Notice in verse 6, but he, this Melchizedek, whose genealogy is not derived from them, received tithes from Abraham Abraham, and blessed him. This is Melchizedek who's blessing Abraham and blessed him who had the promises. This is Abraham. Before he has children, this is pre-children, post-promise. This is before Abraham has kids, but it's after Abraham received the promise of, of the Lord, received the promise in the Lord, the promise of the Lord. And, you know, I, I say Abraham, but when you look at the text, it's Abram. And Abraham tithed unto Melchizedek. I mean, when, he see, when, he, when Abraham received the promise. And Abraham tithed unto Melchizedek. And Melchizedek blessed Abraham. Now, in verse 7. Beyond all contradiction, the lesser is blessed by the better. And I mean, like, for example, you and me, we bless God. We bless God. And God blesses us. But understand it is God who is the greater. I meant to receive blessings from the Lord that God is the greater. But we also bless God. How do we bless God? Obedience. Choosing to obey his word. Why? Because we yield to him. Why? Because we choose to be vessels of honor. Why? Because we desire to be sweet aromas unto the Lord. And that's what the writer of Hebrews is saying here. He's pointing to the greatness of Jesus. And, you know, in one sense, going in a time machine to explain deeper. Because the writer of Hebrews is, you know, hey, let's go back in time and let's look at Abraham. Let's look at Abraham and Melchizedek and let's look at the priesthood. Let's look at Moses. And the writer of, of Hebrews is saying, hey, let's go in the time machine. You see? Because before the law was given to Moses, before the law was given to Abraham, you say, hold the phone there. The law wasn't given to Abraham. Hold the phone, my friend. The law of circumcision. You see? Because the law that was given to Abraham is the same law that the Lord held Moses to account for. And the Lord almost killed Moses. The Lord was like wanted and was like in the process of killing Moses. And you know what happened? Beautiful, beautiful Zipporah, woman of God, circumcised her kids. 
Because Moses, who was going to give the law, he would have been a hypocrite. Why? Because his children weren't even circumcised. That was the law that was given. And the Lord was holding him to account. And he was saved by his beautiful wife, Zipporah. I love Zipporah, Chloe. I'm so in love with these women. They're, they're so beautiful. Why? Because they stand in the Lord and they stand for the Lord. Hannah, beautiful. And so before the law was given, before Abraham had kids, but post-promise unto Abraham, where Abraham believed and it was accounted unto him for righteousness. You see? Just we, we see verse 7. In light of remembering those things, Beyond contradiction in verse 7, the lesser is blessed by the better. Here, mortal men receive tithes. Now, the writer here is saying that we have the example today. I mean, in their day, in the writer of Hebrews days, you know, 2,000 years ago, give or take a couple years, where men pay tithes and mortal men receive tithes. But then... He goes in the time machine. He says, but there, in verse 8, you know, here mortal men receive tithes. But, you know, the writer of Hebrews is saying, let's get in the time machine. And there he receives them. We go back to Abraham paying tithes to Melchizedek. And Melchizedek receives tithes. Of whom it is witness. That he lives. That he lives. So notice how deep verse 8 is. Because, you know, in considering time machine, okay? <laughs> so the, the writer of Hebrews, you know, here, mortal men receive tithes. That's like, you know, the writer of Hebrews in this present time. Well, not this present time like us, you and me today. Even though it applies to you and me today, but like, you know, 2,000 years ago, like in real time when the writer of Hebrews was writing this letter, you know, the, the, the book of Hebrews, for us, for you and me today, you know, 2,000 years ago, give or take a couple years. And he's saying here, we have, you know, the present day example where mortal men receive tithes. But then he says, let's go in the time machine. Let's go back in the time machine and let's go back and look at Abraham and Melchizedek. Because there he receives them. Melchizedek receives them. But now he goes present. So he gets in the time machine. He says, let's get in the time machine. Let's go back to Abraham and Melchizedek. But then there's the present tense. Because in verse 8, of whom it is witnessed that he lives. Not lived, past tense. Lives, present tense. It's what is written in verse 3. That he remains a priest continually. Remember, we're not on milk, you know. Chapter 5, you, my beautiful brother, my beautiful sister. You might have been a milk drinker in chapter 5. But after chapter 5, you said, you know what? I'm done. I'm taking, you know, I've repented. We got you cleaned up. We got to get you cleaned up. You know, you put aside the 500 pounds of sex, the 500 pounds of vodka, the 500 pounds of crack, the 500 pounds of Buddha, the 500 pounds of the occult, the 500 pounds of the Ouija boards, the 500 pounds of yoga, the 500 pounds of gambling, the 500 pounds of extortion, the 500 pounds of the flesh. 
and the 10,000 pounds of false doctrine. And you say, you know what? I'm done. I'm done. And then we get into chapter 6, Hebrews 6. And we together desire to move on to perfection. And boom, here we are in chapter 7. Now we're going deep. Now we're going deep. It's deeper. The weightier matters. We're not on, you know, we're not drinking milk anymore. We're not eating little Cheerios anymore. Now we're in meat. Notice in verse 9, Hebrews chapter 7, not for the milk drinker. In Hebrews chapter 7, verse 9, even Levi, who receives who receives tithes, pays tithes through Abraham, so to speak. Through Abraham, so to speak. It's like, whoa. You see what's happening here? How could Levi pay tithes before he was born? Look at verse 9. Even Levi, who who receives tithes, Paid tithes. Notice, even Levi, who receives tithes, present tense, paid tithes, past tense, through Abraham. According to the flesh, Abraham is dead. Remember the Pharisees when they're speaking with Jesus? Like, well, you, you, you talk like you're best friends with Abraham. You talk as though like you just had, you know, coffee with Abraham. You, you, you call yourself the Messiah and you're speaking like, you know, you just had lunch with Abraham and you're not even 50 years old. And Jesus says, before Abraham. He doesn't say, yeah, I was there. He says, before Abraham, I am. And to the blind, that's blasphemy. But to the living, that reveals exactly who is speaking. The Messiah, Son of God. So Levi, the writer here, is saying the priest, the Levitical priesthood, they received tithes, but then he goes past tense. They paid tithes. Through Abraham, so to speak, in verse 10, for he was still in the loins of his father when Melchizedek met him. Whoa! I mean, you read verse 9, it's like, how is that possible? How is that possible? And then you read verse 10, he was still in the loins of his father when Melchizedek met him. Now, Let's create a bigger chasm of time. Because verse 5 also speaks of the loins of Abraham. Verse 5 at the end, you know, uh, that is from their brethren, though they have come from the loins of Abraham. Now, this verse 5 also speaks of the loins of Abraham and the priesthood. Post-law. Post-law. I mean, this is easier to grasp when you have the backdrop of our studies in Torah. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. 
you say, wait a second, this is impossible. This is impossible. But here in Hebrews 7, it is revealed. They were in the loins of Abraham. Now, I have something to say that might seem off topic, but it needs to be said. Number one, I hate abortion. I hate abortion, straight up. I hate the debate from believers and non-believers alike. I hate it. Abortion is murder, straight up. Abortion is murder. Now, if you've had an abortion and you're not right with the Lord, repent. Repent. It is not right in the eyes of the Lord. Repent. Let's get you cleaned up. You must repent if you've had an abortion. Let's get you cleaned up. But many men, they look like men. They got the hairy chest. They got the big muscles. They got the, you know, they got the deep voice. But they're just babies. And sometimes I have these conversations with men, you know, they're, they're sexually active. Oh, she got an abortion without my approval. She got an abortion without my approval. I had no say in the matter. And they relinquish their own ability. They abdicate their own responsibility to the female, to the woman. But men, 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 be boys no more. If you, if you think you have a say in the matter, and your seed is already out of your body, you're too late. I'll say it again to men. Purpose in your heart to no longer be boys. If you think you have a say in the matter and your seed is out of your body, already out of your body, let me tell you something. Surprise, you're too late. Because you absolutely do have a say in the matter. Better is when your choice is made while your seed is still in your loins. This also speaks of the topic of masturbation. A big problem in the church today with their sex. With their sex and their pornography and their strippers and their prostitutes. Men, I love you. I love you, I love you, I love you. Men, desire to no longer be boys and have regard for your seed. Have regard for your seed. Look at what we're reading so far in Hebrews 7 about the loins of Abraham. You say, the, the writer here, the writer here is speaking in verse 9, is speaking about Levi, who receives tithes, present tense. Now, this is about 2,000 years ago, give or take a couple years. And yet, he paid tithes through a... Let's put that in perspective. 2,000 years ago, the writer of Hebrews is saying, yeah, we have the Levitical priesthood. I mean, not, not to... You know, this is 
post this is in the new covenant era so you know yeah there's the example of the uh, of the of the levitical priesthood but present tense they paid tithes now carnally speaking according to the flesh that's impossible that's impossible how could it be that you know i mean it it would be like me referencing, you know, like, yeah, we, we have priests today who receive tithes. And, uh, you know, but 2,000 years ago, they paid tithes. 3,000 years ago, they paid tithes. Now, according to the flesh, it's like, that's impossible. Because, you know, yeah, we have priests today who receive tithes, but they paid tithes 1,000 years ago, 2,500 years ago, 3,000 years ago. It's impossible. But the Bible reveals something deeper. That's according to the flesh. You know, it's impossible according to the flesh. The Bible reveals something deeper. That the priesthood was in the loins of Abraham when Melchizedek met him. A lot of men, they're boys. They think they're men. They might have the, you know, the hairy chest, the big muscles, the deep voice. Oh, she got an abortion. She got an abortion and I didn't have any say in the matter. Listen, if your seed is already out of your body, you had a choice. Oh, man. Regarding the abortion debate, particularly with believers. And a lot of believers, oh, life begins at conception. Life begins at conception. But let me tell you something. If that's you, you're too late. You're too late. Because Isaiah 44 verse 24 says, God forms you in the womb. It's like, okay, beautiful. And yes, it is beautiful. But it is also written in Jeremiah 1 verse 5, before you were, for before you were formed in the womb, I knew you. So how can this be? Because a lot of believers say, oh, life begins at conception. Life begins at conception. And they say it in the abortion debate. I hate, the, I hate abortion and I hate the abortion debate. You know why? Because abortion is murder. If you've committed abortion, if you've had an abortion, listen, repent, get right with the Lord. And if your argument, if you're a believer or not a believer even, and your argument is, oh, life begins at conception, life begins at conception, look, you're already too late because the Bible reveals that God forms you in your womb. But then he also says, it is also written, before you were formed in the womb, I knew you. You see? And a lot of Christians, well-meaning Christians, but they need a better teacher, Better pastor. Where are the pastors? That's what I want to know. Where in the world are the pastors to teach? Where in the world are the pastors to pour in? Where are the new wineskins who are full of new wine to pour into other new wineskins? Where are they? Why is this an unknown thing? Why do Christians, why do believers engage in the abortion debate? Oh, life begins at conception. Life begins at conception because the Bible reveals something deeper. You got to look farther. Look closer and look farther. The loins. The loins. 
look at the loins of Abraham and the Levitical priesthood. The Levites received tithes and paid tithes through Abraham. How could that be? When you look at verse 9, when you look at verse 9, look at the chasm of time that makes this physically impossible. That makes this, according to the flesh, impossible. You have present tense Levites who receives present tense tithes and yet they paid tithes. There's a chasm of time that makes this carnally impossible, literally impossible, physically impossible. You know why? The writer is not writing according to the flesh. He is writing according to the spirit. And in so doing, he points to the loins of Abraham and says that they paid tithes through Abraham. The chasm of time, gone. And he paid tithes through Abraham. For he was still in the loins of his father. He was in the loins of Abraham when Melchizedek met him. You see? Just like verse 5. The loins of Abraham. I'll say it again. Men, I love you. I love you. I love you. I love you. Men, have regard for your seed. Have regard for your seed. A lot of men, you know, they have girlfriends. They get their abortion. And the man, oh, she got an abortion. I had no say in the matter. No, no, no. You absolutely had a, a say in the matter. And you're too late. Men, if that's you, you need to repent. Let's get you cleaned up. You got to remember the Old Testament? A lot of blood. When Moses said, you know, Pharaoh told, told Moses, yeah, you know, go ahead, go. Pharaoh told you know, Moses told Pharaoh, you know, thus saith the Lord, let my people go. And, you know, Pharaoh hardened his heart many times. And finally, uh, Pharaoh said, oh, fine, get out of here, go. Except leave the animals here. And Moses said, no. You, you pick, you know how obedient Moses was? Don't read the help of his wife. Don't forget the help of his wife, you know, and the, the circumcision. <laughs> Do you see how obedient Moses was to say, listen, the Lord says we got to take the animals. He even says, I don't know why, but the Lord says we have to take the animals. You know how many people would, you know, you know, thus saith the Lord, let my people go. And then Pharaoh says, okay, go, except leave the animals. You know how many people would say, oh, look, we have victory. The Lord gave us victory. Look, Pharaoh said, go. And here we are, we're going. But no, no, no. Moses says, no, we're not, we're not going on your conditions, Pharaoh. We're going on God's conditions. And God says, we're taking the animals. You want to say no? Okay. Next plague. Next plague. You know how many people would stop right there and be like, wow, look, we have victory. Pharaoh said we can go just like the Lord says. Oh, look, fulfillment. And then they get in the wilderness and no animals, no blood, no sacrifice, no life for life. 
they would have died in the wilderness. You know how many people were, would have been mad at Moses? And maybe they were mad at Moses. You know how many people would have been mad at Moses? Moses, what are you doing? Pharaoh said, we can go. Look, we have our opportunity. Look, it's an open door. Look, we can have freedom. We're no longer in bondage. Look, we have victory, Moses. But Moses knew. Listen. The Lord said, I don't know why we need the animals. He even says, you know, I don't know why. But the Lord says, all of us with our animals. Because the Lord knew, listen, there's going to be a lot of sin and you're going to need a lot of animals because we're going to need a lot of blood. Why? Because we got to atone for a lot of sin. Why? Because life is in the blood. Life for life. According to the law that would be given to Moses. Because if Moses says, wow, look, you know, we have victory and we're going to leave on Pharaoh's terms, they would have died in the wilderness. You see? But Moses, so ubi, I mean, it's so simple, but very intricate, very detailed, but simple, nonetheless, or simple nonetheless, but still very intricate. A lot of blood. Moses says, no, Pharaoh. I don't know why we need the animals, but the Lord says we need the animals. So if we're not going to leave on those conditions, the Lord's conditions, and you want to make this, these proposals for your conditions, nope. I'm not taking that. Next plague. You see? It's powerful. A lot of animals because we need a lot of blood. Because there's going to be a lot of sin, a lot of trespass. And life for life. It's atonement. But it's the same today. No longer with the blood of animals, but the blood of Jesus. You're female and you've had an abortion. Repent. Let's get you cleaned up. Let's get you right with the Lord. You're male. You say, I'm a guy. I haven't had an abortion. But if you're male and you're responsible for the abortion because you neglected, you didn't have regard for your seed. You need to repent. Men, I love you. I mean, females, I love you too. But men, I love you. You need to repent. Let's get you cleaned up. Parents. Parents. I love you too. Consider the millstone. Consider the millstone. It's very important because, you know, God knows about the loins. I mean, we're reading his word where it's revealing the, the loins, how he considers the loins. It's in his word. And the word became flesh. We're reading all about it here in Hebrews 7. When that seed is put in motion and that seed is known by God and that seed is put in motion and I don't want to be crass in saying this, but that seed isn't masturbated. That seed isn't aborted. And forgive my boldness. Forgive if I can utter these words. It needs to be said. It must be said. That seed is known by the Lord. And that seed, when it reaches the womb, still known by God. And the Bible says that God forms the little bones, little tiny bones, little tiny muscles, little tiny eyes. Nice little blue eye here. Nice little blue eye here. Nice little brown eye here. Little, little brown eye here. Little ears over here. 
Let's put the little muscles over here. Sinews. Nine months later, the baby is born. Nine months later, that baby is born. And the Lord formed the baby in the mother's womb. The baby is born. Out of God's hands and into your hands, O parent. Out of God's hands and into your hands, beloved mother. Out of God's hands and into your hands, beloved dad. Who before the womb God knew. That child at the age of 12 can be asked the question, do you know Jesus? Now that child at age 12, I do not know him. That child at age 12, oh, he's a fairy tale. That child at age 12, I hate him. You know what I say? Woe to the parents. W-O-E, woe to the parents, woe to the parents. Listen, parents, mom, dad, listen. When you have a child, God wants them back. God wants them back. Before the womb, he knew the child. In the loins. see in the womb he formed little muscles little tiny muscles little tiny bones little ears little blue eyes little green eyes little brown eyes little toes little tiny fingers and that baby is born out of the womb and breathes new oxygen it's a little transfer that's happening. And that transfer is out of God's hands and into your hands, oh mother, into your hands, oh dad. But understand, God wants them back. Listen, if you're a parent, if you're a mom, if you're a dad, and you're learning this for the first time, Repent. Repent. If you're learning this for the first time and baby girl is now 20 years old, baby girl is now 40 years old, and you're a parent and you're learning this for the first time, repent. Repent. Come to Jesus. Believe in Him. And if that's you, hit pause. Listen to the message, How to Commit Your Life to Christ. You commit your life to Christ right here, right now. And then, let's go fishing. Let's go get baby girl. Let's go fishing. Rescue mission. You see? You know, when I was a kid, when I was a kid, it wasn't uncommon to see mentally handicapped kids. 
you see the wheelchairs, you know, we have our, you know, our, our schools and, you know, they would have like special classrooms for like, you know, disabled kids and kids in wheelchairs or deformed kids or like the mentally retarded kids. And they were everywhere. It was common. Beautiful, 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 beautiful creations. A masterpiece of the most high formed in the mother's womb. But you know what? Today, we don't see that anymore. You go to schools nowadays, you don't see the, the wheelchairs like you did back in the day. You don't see the like the handicapped kids like you, like you did back in the day. You know why? I'll tell you why. They've been aborted. They've been aborted. Because you have stupid doctors. Foolish, foolish, evil, wicked, stupid doctors with their ultrasound. And they tell the parents, oh, your child has deformities. Your child has deformities. He's not going to walk. Your child has deformities. She's not going to have an arm. Let's just make your life easy and abort the baby. You know what? It's the doctor who's deformed. Doctors who don't know God. Oh, but they're so smart. They're so smart. No, they're not. You have a doctor like that? That's a stupid doctor. That's a fool. Oh, let's make your life easy. Let's just abort the baby. What a fool. Listen, God doesn't make mistakes. Understand, God does not make mistakes. Every time, me personally, me personally, every single time I'm with a, like a retarded person, Every single time I'm with a retarded person, any age, you know what I realize? It's me that's retarded. Every single time. It's me with the deformity. Every single encounter that I've had, they're so beautiful. So beautiful. So innocent. So beautiful. So wonderfully made. God doesn't make mistakes. Just like the Old Testament, there's a lot of sin, a lot of blood required because the people aren't aligned with the Lord in the Old Testament. Remember Moses, he says to Pharaoh, I don't know why we need our animals, but the Lord says the animals. You know, and then they get in the wilderness and, you know, Moses' perspective, wow, you know, thank God we have the, the, the animals. You know, praise be to the Lord that we have the animals. Remember Moses and Joshua coming down the mountain and they see all the, the sin, the, the, the golden calf, the, the, the sex and the, 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 the orgies and they get down the mountain and it's like, oh my goodness. I mean, there's the wickedness, but those were, those were hard studies to go in, our, in the Old Testament and those were hard studies. And you see the, remember, leadership matters. And you see Aaron, Aaron's sin. I praise the Lord for the animals. Because if they left Egypt on Pharaoh's terms, there would be no, no redemption, no atonement see just like today a lot of sin i mean if you if you're female it's like wow i had abortion i never knew that and listen i've had these conversations with females who have who have had abortions and sometimes old ladies 
And they're devastated because their perspective now is a lot different than when they were 18 years old and 15 years old. Their perspective now is a lot different and they have a lot of guilt. And I don't say this to like instill guilt, like, you know, like, boom, you're guilty and you're okay, have a nice day. No, boom, let's get you cleaned up. Once there's the realization, like, oh my goodness, I'm in sin. Oh my goodness, I'm not right before the Lord. Listen, we got to get you cleaned up. Repent. If you're male and, you know, you, 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 you're like, you know, oh, you know, I, I hate my old girlfriend because, you know, she got an abortion and didn't even check with me. She didn't. Listen, you're too late. You're too late. Because that seed left your loins in a manner that was displeasing to the Lord. You're too late. Repent. We got to get you cleaned up. You see? If you're a parent and you say, oh, I've never had an abortion. Look, I'm good to go. But your child is not walking with the Lord. Remember, the Lord wants them back. Because before the child was in your womb, mom, he knew the child. You see, in your womb, mom, formed the baby comes out of your womb, out of the Lord's hands and into your hands. Mom, I meant, forgive my boldness. But the Lord wants his creation back. You see? Born into Adam, born again into Christ. You see? Parents, train your children in the Lord. If you're a grandparent, and you know, you kind of have a double whammy because it's like you're a grandparent. If you're like, you know, like 80 years old, 75 years old, and you're learning this for the first time, and you're like, oh my goodness, I did it wrong. I did it wrong. Listen. I did it wrong too. Okay? Let's get you cleaned up. Repent, 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 repent. And let's get you cleaned up. Once you're right with the Lord, okay? Now let's go fishing. Now we got a lot of fishing to do because if you're a grandparent, we got to get your kids and then we got to get your grandbabies. And if you're like super old, we got to get your your kids, your grandbabies, and your great-grandbabies. And if you're like super duper old, you know, it's like a quadruple whammy. Kids, grandkids, great-grandkids, and then great-great-grandkids. Never lose hope. Never lose hope. And it's so powerful, you know, I don't want to get off topic and bringing this up and the subject of abortion and the debate of abortion, but I hate it. I hate abortion. I hate the debate of abortion because the Bible settles it. It's not a debate. And a lot of Christians, oh, life begins at, life begins at conception. Nope. Too late. Go deeper. Go further. Hit the rewind button even more. Let's go in the time machine. Because when the Lord speaks, I mean, to the writer of Hebrews who penned it down, he speaks of the Levites, the priesthood, in the loins of Abraham when Melchizedek met him. You see? In verse 11, Therefore, 
if perfection were through the Levitical priesthood, for under it the people received the law. Now, notice what's happening here. The writer of Hebrews is speaking about the law, yes, the priesthood, but because under the priesthood, the people received the law, which is, you know, that's a big deal. I mean, verse 11 is just like, you know, if perfection were through the Levitical priesthood for under it, the people received the law. It's like, okay, that's like not even the full verse. That's just a portion of the verse, but that's loaded. That's like saying Torah, you know, that's Pentateuch, the five books of Moses. And if perfection, if it were through the law, where the people received the law, what further need was there that another priest should rise according to the order of Melchizedek and not be called according to the order of Aaron? You see? I mean, to my Hebrew roots friends, to my Hebrew roots friends. Now, Hebrew roots is a big problem in these last days. It's not surprising. I mean, we're in the last days. A lot of Christians, they see the craziness of the church and it's prophesied to happen. The church is going to be crazy town in the last days. And you look at the church today, crazy town. And a lot of Christians, they realize like, oh my goodness, my church is crazy town. So I need more church government. And there's two avenues. One avenue is Calvinistic church where there's heavy church government. The other avenue is Hebrew roots, where there's heavy church government. Both are wrong. Calvinism has, you know, derivatives. Because within Calvinism, you have Reformed theology, you have Presbyterianism. It's all one and the same. It's all Calvinism. So a lot of Christians, they realize like, oh, my church is crazy, you know, the pastor's female or the pastor's male, but then, you know, he's, uh, uh, the formula's not right, you know, the uh, kids are sex heads, they're doing their crystals, their chakras, and, you know, the wife's a crackhead, and so, okay, the formula's not right, so I can't submit to this pastor, so I'm going to go Calvinist, I'm going to go Reformed, I'm going to go Presbyterian, or I'm going to go Hebrew Roots, I need more church government. All those avenues, wrong. Wrong. But we read verse 10. And to my Hebrew roots friends, I say this. Why would there need to be another priest if the order of Aaron were sufficient? Why would there need to be Melchizedek if Aaron were sufficient? Because remember verse 11 says perfection, perfection. You know, verse 11, therefore, if perfection were through the Levitical priesthood, for under it the people received the law, what for? Why would there need to be Melchizedek? I mean, if, 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 if Aaron was sufficient, why would there need to be another priesthood? If the Levites were sufficient, if the Kohanim were sufficient, why would there need to be Melchizedek? You see what we're starting to see here? Loopholes in the law loopholes in the law and the law was created that way these are things that we're going to touch on further as we get deeper in their studies in the book of hebrews but the law was created with these loopholes remember verse 11 says perfection now if 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 perfection could be achieved through levitical priesthood according to the order of aaron why bother with another priest and i don't mean to be disrespectful to the lord in any way shape or form but why? Paul says it another way. 
In Galatians chapter 2, verse 21, if righteousness comes through the law, then Christ died in vain. Now, I'm just little old me, but I'll further add. If righteousness comes through the law, then how could Abraham be counted righteous before the law? You see? Then you have Hebrew roots people who are quasi-Calvinistic. Oh, God is sovereign. We cannot know his ways. I mean, if you're ever having a conversation with, you know, a Calvinist and sometimes the Hebrew roots with Calvinistic tendencies, and that's kind of like their blanket answer. Oh, God is sovereign. We cannot know his ways. But remember, it is written, the sovereign God does nothing without revealing it first to his servants. When you hear a person say, God is sovereign, we cannot know his ways, understand and know who is speaking. As the Bible reveals, that person is not his servant. And if it's not a servant, he or she is not a friend of God. That's what the Bible reveals. If you're Calvinist, if you're Reformed, if you're Presbyterian, if you're Hebrew roots, I tell you the truth, jump ship. Jump ship. And welcome aboard. You say, wait a second, the Old Testament says we got to obey the Sabbath, that the, old, that, that, the, a Sabbath, that the Old Testament says obey the Sabbath, and it's pleasing to God. Well, understand the covenants. Understand the covenants. Now, to give you an example, to give you an example, <clears throat> if you and I were to engage in warfare, I mean, together, not against each other, but together, same side. If you and I were to engage in warfare in Fallujah, we would have specific rules of engagement. If, if we were to deploy to Haiti on a humanitarian mission, we would have another set of rules to follow. Now, both would be pleasing to our commander. So you and my, you, you, you and me were, 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 were under the command of our commander. And in Fallujah, we have rules of engagement. In Haiti, we have rules of engagement. In Fallujah, it's violent. In Haiti, it's nonviolent. It's humanitarian, you know, like a hurricane, a tornado, or a, well, not a tornado, but well, it could be a tornado, but you know, hurricane, earthquake. So we're in Haiti. It's like, you know, we're going there with food and water and supplies and medical aid and treatment and housing and to help with the people. Fallujah, like, you know, weapons drawn, you know, it's a weapons hot environment. But in Haiti, it's a different different rules of engagement. Now, in both cases, we still act and we still behave and we still conduct ourselves in a manner that is pleasing to our commander, but they are two different theaters. You see? In like manner. There are, there is different theater or dispensation of time. Because 
a lot of times I have these conversations with the Hebrew roots. So it's like, oh, observe the Sabbath, observe the Sabbath. Well, understand the covenants because precede is the law. Postseed is the law of faith. Thus fulfills what Brother Paul accurately wrote in Romans 3, verse 27. Where is boasting then? It is excluded. By what law? Of works? He says, no. But by the works. But by the law of faith. Faith. You say, but wait a second. You said faith and works is a package deal. It absolutely is. As Brother James and Brother Paul correctly say. Remember, we come to Jesus at at 0%. No works. No works. But from there, balls in your court. And all I do is echo the words of Joshua. Choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve. Because you come to Jesus. We come to Jesus. I came to Jesus at 0%. Lest anyone should boast. But once we abide in Christ, it's the Lord who adds. We go from 5% to 10% to 20%. When you hit 100%, you're going to be dead. You're going to be dead. Be absent from the bodies to be present with the Lord. When, When Paul wrote, you know, my life is being poured out as a drink offering. He's kind of like at the end of the line. He's like at 98%. You see, he hits 100%, he's dead. I mean, when Paul hits 100%, according to the flesh, his head is severed from his body. But in the spirit, in the presence of the Lord. These earth suits we wear, that's all it is. It's an earth suit. You see? The law of faith. To abide in the fulfillment of the law. And in so doing, we observe the Sabbath. How? Not of the Sabbath. Remember, we just read that in, 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 in Hebrews 4. No rest. Because if, if Joshua could give rest, why would it be spoken of a greater rest, of another rest? You see? Because the Sabbath is Jesus Christ, the fulfillment of the law. It's the saints that abide in him. Because to abide in the law is to exit Jesus. And that's what the writer here is speaking of. Showing the inefficiencies of the law of Moses. That's how it was created. To make way for the greater, which is Jesus Christ. And so we see here in verse 12, for remember, we're not on milk. This is not for, I mean, Hebrews 7, this is not for the milk drinker. This is like porterhouse. If the Lord is willing, let us move on to perfection. There's criteria for moving on to perfection. That's the, the 500 pounds of sex, the 500 pounds of crack, the 500 pounds of vodka. Those are, those are over. Purpose in your heart. Reckon the old man dead. Reckon the old woman dead. The old man. You say the old man was sex, drug. I'm not talking about old man. I'm talking about you. Before you came to Christ, that old nature. The old woman, if you're female. The sex, the drugs, the chakras, the Buddha. 
the rock and roll, you know, the gambling, whatever it is. That's the old man. That's the old woman. And crucified with Christ. It is no longer you who lives. It is no longer I who lives, but Christ who lives in us. And that's how we move on to perfection. Laying aside those things which so easily ensnare us. We go from come to Christ at 0%. And then 5, 10, 20, 30, 40, 50, 60. We move on to perfection. 100% you're going to be dead. But we can hit 98%, 99%. You see? Notice what is written here in verse 12. For the priesthood being changed. Notice. So the priesthood being changed. This is from the order of Aaron. Remember verse 11, according to the order of Aaron. And verse 12, for the priesthood being changed. So we're from the order of Aaron to another order. And that's the order of Melchizedek. You see? It's not, it might have changed. It's straight up, it's changed. And this priesthood of Aaron being changed. Very important to understand this. Remember how when we were studying Leviticus and Numbers and Deuteronomy, how we had warning labels? Because there are passages in the law that says, you know, you, the, the Sabbath is pleasing to the Lord. You know, observing the fees is a pleasing to the Lord. And these are pleasing to the Lord. But it's just like the rules of engagement in Fallujah. We have a commander in conduct in, 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 in a war footing. Pleasing to our commander. But when we go to Haiti, if we apply the rules of engagement of Fallujah and we apply that to Haiti, where we're supposed to be on humanitarian mission, we're not going to be pleasing to the commander. We're going to be disobedient to the commander. Why? Because the rules of engagement of Fallujah are for Fallujah. The rules of engagement for Haiti are for Haiti. You see? And those are the dispensations of time. Old covenant, new covenant. Because a person says, oh, I'm abiding in Christ, I'm abiding in Christ, and I'm doing the law of Moses. No. If that's you, and I love you, if that's you, you have exited Jesus Christ. You are not safe. You are not abiding in Christ. Whatever it is that got you there, repent and jump ship and come back to Christ. You see, come back to Christ. Abide in Christ, the fulfillment of the law. And I have these conversations with Hebrew roots and oh, but the Bible says we got to observe the feast. We got to do the Sabbath. Now, I don't mean to be like, you know, cheapening and saying this, but consider the lungs of Jesus. Did they do the Sabbath? Did they choose to do the Sabbath? Did they do, did they, what could lungs consume? Consider the spleen of Jesus. What, could they observe the feasts? You see? And I don't mean to sound cheap in, in bringing that up, but I'm just saying that they're inside of Christ. You see? 
And a lot of times the Hebrew roots have a hard time, but the Bible says I got to do this. The Bible says I got to do this. And you have beautiful people in Hebrew roots. And it's like, well, the Bible says I got to do this. Yes, there are certain things that the Bible says a person must do. But the rules of engagement of Fallujah are not the rules of engagement in Haiti. The rules of conduct and engagement in the Old Testament, according to the Old Covenant, are not for today where we have the new covenant until the seed, remember? And sometimes I have these conversations and they're like almost in tears and in some cases in tears, like I can't disobey my Lord. Listen, to abide in Christ, that's the greatest safety any of us can have. The Lord, Son of the Most High, has called me to tell you that. To tell you that abiding in Jesus, according to the new covenant, you are not disobeying the Lord. And he wants me to tell you. And so here we are, you and me, I'm telling you, point blank. If you're abiding in the law, you have exited Christ. You and me are to abide in the fulfillment of the law. Because look at what the writer of Hebrews is saying here. In verse 12, the priesthood being changed. It's, it's like Fallujah. Rules of engagement in Fallujah. The rules of engagement change when we go to Haiti. You see? Now the, the priesthood being changed of necessity, there is also a change of the law. Metathesis in the Greek. Metathesis, which is a removing and disestablishment of the law. That's how it translates, but there's more. Metathesis, it's a removing and disestablishment of the law and transferal into heaven. To my Hebrew roots, friends, understand, listen, Satan knows this. Satan, Satan, Lucifer, Beelzebub. Who was a murderer from the beginning, father of lies. He knows this. He doesn't want you to know it. He wants you to think you're righteous. He wants you to think you're obeying the Lord. He wants you to think you're abiding in Christ. But he doesn't want you to have this transferal into heaven. Transferal's definition, it's moving from one location to another. It's really quite simple. And I don't mean that it's really quite simple, like, you know, shame on you that you don't know this. I don't say it like that. But it's really quite simple in terms of this. My yoke is easy and my burden is light. I echo the words of my master. My master. His yoke is easy and his burden is light. You're in Hebrew roots. You got to jump ship and welcome aboard. Of necessity, there is also a change of the law. It is written in verse 13, for he of whom these things are spoken. Now we're talking about Jesus. This is Jesus. He of whom, remember, when Jesus is speaking to the Pharisees, they're, they're like, oh, we're hardcore. We follow Moses. And Jesus says, Moses wrote about me. 
Moses wrote about me. Consider how outlandish that was to the Pharisees to hear Jesus say, number one, Moses wrote about me. But then number two, for Moses, you know, when they're like marveling, like you're, you're talking about Abraham, like, you know, you just had lunch with him. You're ta- you're only 50 years old and you're talking, you know, you're talking like you, 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 you know him like personally. And he goes further back than Abraham. He says, before Abraham was, I am. And this Jesus, in verse 13, of he of whom these things are spoken, belongs to another tribe from whom no man has officiated at the altar. You see, the old covenant is very specific. Abodah, Abodah, Mishkan. Remember, if you're listening for the first time, go back and listen to our studies of Leviticus. You'll understand. Abodah, Abodah, Mishkan. If you've been walking with us for a while, you know all about that. The Old Covenant is very specific. Levites, Kohanim. But Jesus, Jesus, he's the tribe of Judah. The lion of the tribe of Judah. He's not Levite. Jesus is the lion of the tribe of Judah. You see? Just like verse 13. He of whom these things are spoken belongs to another tribe from whom, from which no man has officiated at the altar. You know who officiated at the altar? Levites and Kohanim. Not Judah. You see? Not the, 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 the order of Aaron, but the order of Melchizedek, the tribe of Judah. Look at verse 14. For it is evident that our Lord, our Lord arose from Judah. Now, it is evident. It translates in the Greek, it's a known thing. It's obvious. Well, what's obvious? That Jesus is of Judah. This fact, that Jesus is of Judah, this fact proves the disestablishment and removal of the law as mentioned in verse 12. That priesthood was changed. And of necessity, there is also a change of the law. Very specific formula in the Old Covenant. The fact that we have Judah, Jesus arose from Judah, that very reality reveals this change of the law. Speaking of arising from Judah in verse 14, of which tribe Moses spoke nothing concerning priesthood. Nothing concerning priesthood. Because when you read the law, Torah, Pentateuch, the five books of Moses, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, the law doesn't indicate a priesthood from Judah. I'll say it better. The letter of the law, the letter of the law does not indicate priesthood from Judah. But understand, Moses himself, he wrote of Jesus. Remember, we're not on milk. 
We're not milk drinkers. I mean, you're in Hebrews 7. We're not, this, Hebrews 7 is not for the milk drinker. We're not on milk. We're not even on the spiritual Cheerios. This is like spiritual porterhouse. The deeper, weightier matters. Look at verse 15. In verse 15, And it is yet far more evident if in the likeness of Melchizedek. Now, remember, this Melchizedek, he blessed Abraham and received tithes from Abraham and the greater blesses the lesser. Notice what happens here in verse 15. In the likeness of Melchizedek, there arises another priest who has come not according to the law of a fleshly commandment. Whoa. How many times in our Wednesday studies through the Old Testament, how many times did you hear us say, observe Israel, observe Israel according to the flesh? And this priesthood, not according to the order of Aaron, according to the order of Melchizedek. And this priest has come, not according to the law of a fleshly commandment. Now, old covenant, fleshly commandment. Remember, Fallujah, Haiti. Fallujah, Haiti. There's a commander. You and me were, were enlisted in, you know, a, a unit. And we have a commander. Old a Fallujah, there is a manner of conduct that is pleasing to the com commander. Haiti, there is a manner of conduct that is pleasing to our commander. But the two are different. We cannot go into Fallujah with a Haiti mindset, Haiti conduct. We cannot go into Haiti with a Fallujah mindset or Fallujah conduct. Different rules of engagement. Same commander, different rules of engagement. You see? And it's very similar with the covenants. Conduct according to the law, conduct according to the law of faith. Paul wrote about in Romans 3. The law of faith. You see? Now, remember, the law is still holy. The law is still holy. Remember our study in Galatians? But it, there's a greater glory, and that's Jesus. Understand that in the old covenant, in the law, there is a door. And in the law, a person can learn to fear the Lord. Remember how, you know, in our studies in the Old Testament, how you hear us say, you know, let's get in the time machine. Let's get in the time machine. And, you know, we go back in time and we see somebody get stoned. You're going to learn very quickly the fear of the Lord. Very quickly. You're going to learn that you see somebody get stoned. You're going to learn very quickly the fear of the Lord. Like, whoa, you know, what did he do? What did this guy do? You know, you know, he was uh, uh, worshiping Baal. It's like, whoa, I'm not going to worship Baal. No way. I saw that guy get stoned. I'm not going to get stoned. What did she do? She was worshiping Molech. Whoa, I'm not worshiping Baal, Molech. Nope, no thanks. 
Well, why do you choose to do that? Because, you know, it's scary. I don't want, you know, I don't want a stone hitting my face. And I'm not, a lot of times people say like, you know, oh, you're a Christian. You believe the Bible. You believe that we should stone. You believe that the, the homosexual should be stoned. You believe that the lesbian should be stoned. You believe, no, I should be stoned. I should be stoned. That's why I love Jesus. That's why I'm so in love with Jesus. I mean, one of many reasons why, but that's one of them. That's why I'm so in love with Jesus. Because he took it upon himself to pay the price for my sin. You're a non-believer. He'll do it for you too. You see, come to Christ. God loves you. He's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to him. God so sent his son into the world, not to condemn the world, not, not, not to condemn the world, but that the world through him, through Jesus might be saved. You see? And praise be to the Lord. But in the law, understand, there is a door where a person can learn to fear the Lord. Just like we go back in the time machine. We're in the time machine. We see somebody, we're in the old covenant, you know, pre-seed, pre-new covenant. And, you know, we go back in time and we see somebody get stoned. It's like, whoa, what do he do? He worshiped Moloch. You see another lady get stoned. Like, whoa, what does she do? She worshiped Moloch. And I look at you, you look at me. It's like, whoa, we're not messing with Baal. We're, we're not messing with Moloch. Why? Because, you know, we're fearful. We fear the Lord. You see? And the fear of the Lord, that's the beginning of wisdom. That's the beginning of wisdom. Which means there's more to be added. If the fear of the Lord is the beginning, I mean, that's like saying, you know, like uh, the fear of the Lord is preschool. That's like, now it's maybe easier to understand. Like, okay, the, the fear of the Lord is preschool. Now, who's 10 years old in preschool? Who's 15 years old in preschool? Who's 20 years old in preschool? You see, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. There's more to be added. And in the law, a person can learn to fear the Lord. I'm not advocating the law in any way, shape, or form. But understand what happens in the law. When a person learns to fear the Lord, it leads to another chamber of trusting the Lord. What leads, it leads to another chamber of loving the Lord. Which leads to another chamber of hope in the Lord. Which leads to another chamber of faith. 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 Hannah had it. Moses had it. Joshua had it. Caleb had it. Joshua, Caleb, they, they reached that chamber of faith. In the old covenant, according to the old covenant, the flesh, very few people reached that chamber of faith. They reached it. Moses did. Joshua did. Hannah did. Samuel did. Amos did. Zechariah did. Zephaniah did. Esther did. These beautiful, beautiful, beautiful people of faith, male, female, young, old, the majority, they never reach faith. Remember in Hebrews 4, our study in Hebrews 4, you see, the, the mixture of faith not being added with the mixture of faith, a small minority in the Old Testament 
a remnant. They did reach that chamber of faith, which is it's that hope. Paul writes about it in Romans 3, the law of faith. That's why you see how the prophets of old, they have a hope. It's like, how could somebody in the Old Testament have hope for a seed that they do not know? It's because in the law, they reached the chamber of faith. That's how. We're in the law. I mean, say for example, you and me, we go back in time. We see the guy get stoned. It's like, why was he stoned? It's like he was worshiping Baal. Why did she get stoned? She was worshiping Molech. And then I look at you, you look at me like, whoa, I'm not going to mess around with Baal. I'm not going to mess around with Molech. How about you? You say, hey, same for me. We're not messing around with that. I don't want a stone in my face. You see, we, we learn very quickly, like, okay, we fear the Lord. Boom, like instant. And so that's how we conduct ourselves in the fear of the Lord. And then we start to realize something. We start to realize like, wow, you know what? Yeah, we fear the Lord. But you know what? This is kind of nice. Like you see people in their tents, all this kind of mess. They got to sacrifice here and sacrifice there and make atonement for sin and make atonement for sin here. And, you know, you and me, we still make sacrifices, you know, because, you know, to honor the Lord and be pleasing to him. But, you know, sin offerings, trespass offerings. And, you know, you have people going outside the camp because they're leprosy. And it's like, wow, we don't have to mess around with that stuff. It's like, that's not a non-factor with us. Why? Well, we fear the Lord, but. I look at you, you look at me, it's like, yeah, we fear the Lord, but now it's a little different. Now we trust the Lord. Because like all these people, they're doing all their mess, you know, there's a leprosy here and, you know, there's a process of getting cleaned again and all this and all that. And they got to clean their house and take everything out and clean it and wash it and bring it back in and wait a couple of weeks, wait some time. And, you know, the guy is coming back to his house, but or his tent and, you know, he, he can't stay in the main tent. He's got to stay in the side tent and the kids here. And it's like, oh man, what a mess. All this drama, drama here, drama there and this and that. And I'm not belittling those things at all. I'm and I'm not advocating the law and saying that, but I'm just saying like you, you look at the, the means by which a person is dirty before the Lord and how they get cleaned up. It's a process. It's quite the process that takes time. But so you and me, we go back in time. I'm not advocating the law, but we go back in time and it's like we fear the Lord. But it's a little different now because it's like, wow, you know what? We can just live our regular lives. We can love the Lord. We can we, we fear the Lord. But now it's different because we trust the Lord. And in trusting the Lord, now something different happens. Now we fall in love with the Lord. It's like, wow, I didn't, I didn't understand this before. We're all, I just saw, the, you know, I, you and me, we're having a conversation, a little side conversation. We're in a tent. And we're having a conversation. It's like, man, remember when that guy was stoned? He was worshiping Baal and he was stoned. Remember when that lady was stoned? She was worshiping Molech and, he, and she was stoned. It's like, wow, that was terrible. It's like, yeah, that was scary, you know, freaked me out. And oh my goodness, this and that. It's like, but wow, you know, like I look at you, you look at me. And it's like, you, you, you tell me. I, it was scary then, but now I kind of get it. Not the stoning part. I mean, the, the stoning part we get. I mean, they learn the fear of the Lord. But now the, the, the penalty, the penalty for having, for worshiping another God 
And now we get it. And now it's like, wow, you know what? Yeah, I still fear the Lord, but it's different. Now I trust the Lord. And you're like, you know what? Me too. And then you say, you know what? I fear the Lord. I trust the Lord. But you know what? I'm in love with him. And I look at you, you look at me, and I tell you, like, me too. I love him too. And so that's our conduct. We love the Lord. And then there's a deeper chamber. In love in the Lord and of the Lord and for the Lord, there's a deeper chamber, which is a hope. And then there's another deeper chamber, which is faith. Hannah reached that door. The high priest did not. The high, when Hannah was praying, the high priest thought she was drunk. Her husband. Nobody understood what Hannah was doing. But the Lord did. Hannah, in the law, reached that chamber of faith. You see? Where at some point in her life, she feared the Lord. She learned to trust the Lord. And she learned to love the Lord. And there was a hope in the Lord. Then she reaches the chamber of faith. And you see how the Lord responds to her. She prays, boom, the Lord opens her womb. And she's faithful to the Lord because she has a child. And she dedicates him to the Lord. Lord, he's for you. You see? And when there was silence, when the Lord was silent in those days, there was no widespread revelation. There was a famine of the word of God. The Lord was silent. And yet he spoke to little Samuel, little boy Samuel. You see? How beautiful. It's very important to understand that this new law or New covenant, post-seed. This new law of faith comes the effectuation of promise. Notice, in verse 16, this, the order of Melchizedek, and this, there arises another priest, in verse 16, who has come. Not according to the law of the fleshly commandment. Not according to the order of Aaron. Not according to the Levitical priesthood. We're talking about Judah. Judah. Where in the law of Moses, there was no mention of the priesthood coming from Judah. But Moses wrote of Jesus. And in the order of Melchizedek, in verse 12, the priesthood being changed of necessity, there is also a change of the law. And with this change of the law, we get to verse 16. This priest who has come, not according to the law of a fleshly commandment, but according to the power of, of an endless life. An endless life. This is eternal life. I mean, I'll be straight up. It's so simple. It's so simple. The recipe and formula is very specific, but it's so simple. 
I say something yet again to my Hebrew Roots friends. If you are abiding in the law, you are outside of Christ. If you are outside of Christ, there is no effectuation of this promise of endless life. Satan knows this. And he wants you deceived because he doesn't want you to have endless life. God he wants you to have endless life. You got to jump ship. I don't say jump ship to hurt you. We say jump ship to save you. Notice in verse 17. For he testifies. Now he quotes the psalmist. The writer of Hebrews now quotes the psalmist. You are priest forever in verse 17. According to the order of Melchizedek, for in verse 18, on the one hand, there is an annulling of the former commandment, the canceling of the prior law, the annulling of the former covenant. Now, this is not a blanket statement. Understand, this is not a blanket statement. And this is where Christians go crazy. A lot of Christians go crazy here. They say, well, the law is over. The law is over. But the Bible is very specific. Remember, the law is still in effect. The law is still in effect. The question is, am I under the law or am I under Christ? That's the question. Because a lot of Christians go crazy. Oh, you know what? The law is over. The law is over. Come on, let's go do some crack. Oh, the law is over. The law is over. Come on, let's go to the strip club. Oh, the law is over. The law is over. Come on, let's go do our hot yoga. Oh, the law is over. Come on, let's go do our Ouija boards. No. And, you know, those are the driving factors where people go into Hebrew roots because a lot of Christians, they see that the church is going into crazy town. And as a, as a, as a result, they say, you know what? I don't want to get sucked into that crazy town, so I need more church government, so I'm going to go Hebrew roots. I need more church government, so I'm going to go Calvinist. I'm going to go Reformed. I'm going to go Presbyterian. All those avenues are wrong. Unbiblical. Unbiblical. I meant, in some cases, I meant they're... It's a seduction. I understand the desire for a Christian not to be in crazy town. I get it. I understand it. I mean, that's a good thing. You know, you're a Christian. You don't want to be in crazy town. I mean, if you're a Christian and you're in crazy town, that's like, you know, when, 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 when truth starts to become withheld. That's when, like, you know, strong delusion as a form of judgment. If you're a Christian and you're in crazy town and you don't care, it's like, okay, that's when we get into like, okay, this is like borderline judgment territory. I mean, I don't want to say straight up judgment because, you know, it, I mean, it could be, but I always have hope. But. That's not good. That's a, when we get into like, you know, strong delusion and judgment, that's when we're getting into the re-crucifying of Jesus. That's like, you know, Hebrews 6. Not good. Not good. But if you're a Christian and your desire is to not be in crazy town, that's a good thing. That's not a bad thing. The solution can be a bad thing. 
If the solution is, you know what? I'm going to go with Calvinist church. They, they're heavy church government. They have really qualified pastors. And look, the pastors really keep things in tip-top shape. But because of doctrine, you cannot submit to those pastors. They are biblically disqualified. Wrong formula. And I say because of doctrine, there are derivatives of that. There's fruit of that. And where you see the works of the flesh, it, it all emanates from doctrine. And you say, okay, well, I'm not going to go Calvinist, so I'll go Hebrew roots. Well, it is also wrong. Because, yeah, you'll see heavy government, but it's heavy government according to Fallujah, not according to Haiti. It's heavy government according to the law. You see? And where there's the law, if you're abiding in the law, look at verse 16. The fleshly commandment. It's not according to the law of the fleshly commandment, but according to the power of an endless life. The fleshly law doesn't lead to paradise. You say, wait a second. How could that be? Because there's a promise of paradise to those who were under the law. And the answer is, you're right. You're right. You say, wait a second. Now I really don't get it because you say I'm right in that, but you say I'm wrong in this. Yes. You know why? Seed. Seed. Because 2,000 years ago, give or take a couple years, that seed died on a cross. You see? And the veil was torn from top to bottom. And a lot of Christians, they go crazy over verse 18. Oh, look, there's an annulling of the former, former commandment. Look, I'm not under the law. I'm not under the law. Come on, let's go do our crack. I'm not under the law. Come on, let's go gambling. I'm not under the law. Let's go do our sex, our drugs, our alcohol, our Ouija boards, our yoga. Let's go do this. Let's go do the occult. Let's go worship Buddha. Let's go worship Mary. Look, we're not under the law. And yet the Bible is very specific because abiding in Christ, abiding in Christ, the law is over. You see, because there is abiding in the fulfillment of the law. Jesus Christ himself is the covering. And people say, oh, the law is over. Let's go do our crack. The law is over. Let's go do the sex. Come on. The law is over. Let's go do the alcohol, the Ouija boards, the Buddha. But listen, where there is no abiding in Christ. Where there is no abiding in Christ, a person is under the law, where is found death. You see? The law is a tutor. It is not made for the righteous. Remember our studies in the Timothy letters? Now the Lord leaked those letters, so now you and me, we have an understanding. You see? The law is not made for a righteous person. The law is a tutor to bring us to Christ. It's how Abraham was counted righteous outside of the law. You see? Faith. Faith pre-law, faith in the law, and faith post-law. The law of faith. So we see in verse 18, 
For on the one hand, there is an annulling of the former commandment because of its weakness and unprofitableness. Whoa. It's very difficult for my Hebrew roots friends to reconcile this because there's so much clout and emphasis placed in the law of Moses, but the Bible testifies. Number one, it's a fleshly commandment, as is verse 16 says. But number eight, verse 18, it's weak and unprofitable. And of necessity, in verse 12, there is a change of the law. Not according to the order of Aaron. Not according to the tribe of Levi. According to the order of Melchizedek, of the tribe of Judah. Notice in verse 19. For the law made nothing perfect. <laughs> I mean, if you're in Hebrew roots, and I love you, I love you. These are painful studies. Because it goes against the teachings and the writings of Moses. It goes against the writings and the teachings of Moses in terms of the fleshly commandment. But according to the Spirit, when you understand that Moses wrote of Jesus and wrote about Jesus, when you have eyes to see and ears to hear, you can clearly see that there were loopholes in the law. The law made nothing perfect. Nothing perfect. It cannot. Because the law is the order of Aaron, the Levitical priesthood, but the priest from Judah, it's a new ballgame. From Judah proves the annulling of the former. It's a new covenant. You say, wait a second. How is it possible that, how could it be that the law made nothing perfect? Well, just like our studies in Hebrews 4, did Joshua give rest? Did Joshua give rest? They had the law of the Sabbath, but did they have rest? I mean, the Sabbath law is for rest, but did they have rest? The very fact that, you know, the book of Joshua ends and then we pick up in Judges, the very fact that that happens proves that there is a greater rest. Oh, but the Sabbath is rest. The Sabbath is rest. Look at the Sabbath. Look at the Sabbath in application according to the law. They did not have rest. You see, the law made nothing perfect as is written here in verse 19. On the other hand, there is the bringing in of a better hope. You know what this translates in the Greek? And I love it so much. There is the bringing in of a better hope or there is the super expectation of a better hope. Remember the law is a tutor? That's from Galatians chapter 3 verse 25. The law is a tutor. Now, the law has a door. Remember the law? I mean, you and me, we go back in time. We, we go back in time. We see the guy get stoned. Well, you know, why was he stoned? Oh, he was worshiping Baal. It's like, okay, I'm not messing with Baal. Why? Because I'm terrified. That's freaky. It scares me. I don't want to mess with Baal. I look at you, you look at me, you're like, you know, me too. I'm not messing with Baal. Now understand, in that we learn, we have the fear of the Lord. Now in that we have the chamber that leads to trust in the Lord. 
And then another chamber that learns leads to the love of the Lord, then the hope of the Lord, and then faith. Very few people reach that in the Old Testament. When reached, there is the, as is written here in verse 19, the super introduction of a better hope. In the Old Testament, very few reached that inner chamber, but the remnant did. Hannah did. Samuel did. Amos did. Remember Amos? He's like, I'm no prophet. I'm no prophet nor the son of a prophet. And the Lord says, surprise, you're a prophet. Because he reached that inner chamber of faith, intimacy with the Lord. Isaiah, inner chamber, intimacy with the Lord. Jeremiah, Esther, Hannah, Ruth, Joshua, Moses, that inner chamber. You and me today, post-seed, through faith, through faith. Remember, faith is a package deal. Faith is a package deal. What's the package? Abiding in Christ. Abiding in Christ. You say, wait a second. I thought you said faith was the, the package deal with faith was works. Exactly. Because abiding in Christ means to obey Christ. Once that happens, comes the effectuation of Galatians 3.25. We are no longer under a tutor. You see? And a lot of Christians get seduced into church government, Calvinistic, Reformed, uh, Presbyterianism. They get seduced into Hebrew roots because the church is going into crazy town. Now, a Christian, you cannot go to Hebrew roots. If you're in Hebrew roots, jump ship. You cannot go Reformed. If you're Reformed, jump ship. If you're Calvinist, jump ship. If you're Presbyterian, jump ship. And if you're in a church that's crazy town, jump ship. You say, well, that, that's like everybody. Where do I go? I'm of the strong conviction. And I can make a very strong case that the last day's model for church and fellowship is in the home, home fellowship, just like we see in the book of Acts. The age of the mega church, over. You say, how could I be over? It's still in a, I, I still see the megachurch. I still see churches with 10,000 people. They're entering judgment. They're entering judgment. Remember the Lord says, my people perish for lack of knowledge. I don't say this, oh, they're entering judgment. You know, ha, 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 let's be, you know, joyful. No. The Bible says of these times, it's times of sorrows. It's sad. It's devastating. God is long-suffering, not willing that any should perish. So what is the saint to do? Well, just like the parent, let's go fishing. You see? Let's go fishing. And so we see in verse 19 that there is the bringing in of a better hope through which we draw near to God. Understand, tetelestai, tetelestai. When Jesus Christ cries out to Telestai on the cross, when that seed, capital S, when he died, and before dying, to Telestai, it is finished from top to bottom. 
that holy of holies, that veil was torn from top to bottom. New covenant. In verse 20, in closing, and inasmuch as he was not made priest without an oath, without an oath, for they, notice they, this is the priesthood according to Aaron, have become priests without an oath. See, they, they, were, they, were, they were Levites, born into the family of Levi, you know, no oath. They were Levites. They were, you know, they were, that was their task, the Levitical priesthood. But he, this Jesus, we're talking about Jesus. He, he was not made priest, high priest in the order of Melchizedek, without an oath. But he with an oath. And it's by him. That's God, our father. Hallowed be his name. God, our father, who said to him, and, you know, again, he quotes the psalmist. The Lord has sworn and will not relent. You are priest forever, according to the order of Melchizedek. See? The Old Testament testifies of these very truths. Torah testifies of these very truths. The prophets testify of these very truths. The poetic verses testify of these very truths. That another priest of Judah, the order of Melchizedek, changed the old. You see? And so we see in verse 22, by so much more, or translates in the Greek, in this vast expanse, Jesus has become a surety of a better covenant or the promise as assurance of a better covenant. You see, with abiding in Christ, you and me together abiding in Christ comes the effectuation of promise. Paradise. I mean, there are promises for you and me in this life. But the life to come? Paradise. To be absent from the body is to, to be present with the Lord. That's like 100%. Today in the flesh, in these earth suits, we go from, you know, 10%, 20%, 80%, 90%. And just like Paul who hit 98%. When he hit 100%, his head was severed from his body. You see, promise of a better covenant, a new covenant. In verse 23, also there were many priests. In the order of Aaron, there were many priests. I mean, you, you, that, that's, that's a gimme. That's, that we, we, we studied that and we're still studying that. There, in the Old Testament studies, there's many priests. Because they were prevented by death from continuing. You see, I mean, in our Old Testament studies, we've seen the death of Aaron. We have the death of Eleazar, and it just so happens we study this on Wednesday. Eleazar, who died on Wednesday. I mean, in our study in, in Joshua 24, he died. But he died. Aaron died. Eleazar died. And all this lineage of Levitical priests, they die. They die straight up. But he, Jesus, and the order of Melchizedek, 
of Judah because he continues forever. Remember the oath? The oath from our Father in heaven, hallowed be his name in verse 21, you are priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek. You see? But he, this Jesus, in verse 24, because he continues forever, has an unchangeable priesthood. Therefore, he is also able to save to the uttermost. You know what that translates in the Greek? To completion. You know what that means? He's able to save to 100%. Jesus is able to bring you and me to 100%. Now, if you're listening for the first time and you're like, I still don't get the 100% thing. I still don't get the 50% thing. Go back and listen to our studies, our prior studies in the book of Hebrews chapter 1. Get yourself caught up. And while you're at it, go back to 1 Corinthians and get yourself caught up to where we're at in Hebrews. Everything's archived for you. It's all there so that you can learn. It's free. No charge. It's free. It's not like you listen for 10 minutes and you hear an ad. You listen for 20 minutes. You hear an ad every 10 minutes. It's free. Freely we have received. Freely we give. Free. Thewayunderground.com Everything's housed there for you. And Jesus, he's able to save to the uttermost. Translates as to completion. Breaking it down further, he's able to take you and me. We come to him at 0%. No one is righteous. We come to him at 0%. Nothing. Sometimes people say, well, you know, let me get my life cleaned up and then I'll come to Christ. No, 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 no. You come to Christ right here, right now. If that's you, you want to commit your life to Christ, do it right here, right now. Hit pause, listen to the message, how to commit your life to Christ. You commit your life to Jesus Christ, we're at 0%. But you're not going to stay at 0%. A week later, you're not going to be at 1% or 0%. You might be at 1%, 2%, 3%. You might be at 5%. A month later, you might be at 8%. A year later, you might be at 12%, 20%. When you die... A hundred percent to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. But we grow. And Jesus is able to save to the uttermost in verse 25, those who come to God through him, through Jesus. He is the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father, but through him. He is the way. That's why Jesus says, I am the door. I am the door. Since he always lives to make intercession for them, or how it translates in the Greek, since he at all times lives to make intercession for them. Now, this begs a question. If Jesus at all times makes intercession for those who come to God, and he is able to save to the uttermost from 0% to 100%, then why don't we see this on overdrive among Christians? Very valid question. Very hard question. And I'll give you the answer. Formula. That's why. Formula. That's the answer. Straight up. Point blank. So simple. Formula. You go back and you listen to our studies. 
Everything's housed there. Thewayunderground.com Everything is housed there for you so that you can grow and mature in Christ and become deadly. The good deadly, not the bad deadly. The good deadly. Free of charge. It's not like, you know, you get to like the, 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 the pay, you know, to access this site, you got to pay 50 bucks. Or like you listen to a message and every 10 minutes it's an ad, like, you know, a, 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 a 10 second spot, you know, hey, you know, like send us, you know, $5. No, free. Free. You go back, you listen to our studies, how to grow and mature in Christ, the pastoral epistles. You'll learn all about formula. There are effectuations for promises of God. Because we see in verse 25 that Jesus is able to the uttermost. Those who come to God through him, through Jesus, those who come to the Father through Jesus, since he always lives to make intercession for them, since he uh, at all times lives to make intercession. And a lot of times Christians, it's like, wait a second. The Bible says, verse 25, that Jesus is able to do that and that he lives at all times to do that. But why isn't he doing it with me? Why isn't he doing it with this church? Why isn't he doing it with those Christians? Why isn't he? Easy. Hard question, hard answer, but it's easy. Formula. Formula. Apostasy is prophesied. The falling away is prophesied. Lamps running out of oil is prophesied. Where there is weeping and gnashing of teeth, it is prophesied. But when you understand formula, you know what to do. But even still, balls in your court, balls in my court. We have a choice to make. And notice what we see here in closing, verse 26. For such a high priest was fitting for us who is holy, harmless, undefiled, separate from sinners, and has become higher than the heavens. Now, remember, his earthly ministry, we see in Hebrews chapter 2, verse 9, that he was a little lower than the angels. But then in verse 26, here in verse 26 in Hebrews 7, he has become higher than the heavens. Remember, Hebrews 1, verse 4, he's better than the angels. So Hebrews 2, verse 9, he's in his earthly ministry a little lower than the angels. In Hebrews 1, verse 4, he's better than the angels. In Hebrews 7, verse 26, he became higher than the heavens. You see? This priest... Of Judah, not of Levi, of Judah, in the order, not of Aaron. The order of Aaron was Levi. It's the order of Melchizedek. This high priest in the order of Melchizedek, the, the tribe of Judah. Now, notice in verse 27, who does not need daily as those high priests, remember making the distinction, you say those high priests, you know, according to the order of Aaron, the Levites, the Kohanim, those high priests, the fleshly commandments, but the high priest in the order of Melchizedek, he does not need daily as those other high priests 
of the flesh. No need to offer up sacrifices first for his own sins, then for the people's sins. You see, that's the priesthood of the flesh. That's the priesthood of Aaron. That's the priest making sacrifices for their own sins before the people's sins. Jesus, he's sinless. Knew no sin. Sinless. Male lamb without blemish. According to the law, he fulfilled the law. You see? For this he did, in verse 27, this he did once for all when he offered up himself. This is why re-crucifying Jesus is not a good thing. Remember our study in Hebrews 6 just last week? It is impossible to restore a person who re-crucifies Jesus. Remember in Hebrews 6 also, Lord permitting, let us move on to perfection. We're in Hebrews 7. This is not for the milk drinker. You say, wait a second. Does, does God not want us to be perfected? Understand, he does. But that cannot happen with the sex, with the drugs, with the alcohol, with the Buddha, with the Ouija boards. Even with the law. Because that's the fleshly commandment. Because with, in the order of Melchizedek, of necessity, because it's the tribe of Judah, there is an, an annulling of the old. I mean, to be straight up, it's really quite simple. And I don't say it's quite simple to be like, oh, look, you know, look, you know, I know this and you don't know this. No, it is written. We all know this. We should all know this. But when I say that, it's really quite simple. Because sometimes in studying these intricacies, it's kind of like a, like a turnoff, like, oh, you know, like it's too difficult. And so I don't want to do it. You know, ignorance is bliss. Ignorance is bliss. No, never have that mindset. Ignorance is not bliss. Ignorance, you know, can, can be hell, you know, hellfire damnation. Ignorance can be, you know, weeping and gnashing of teeth. People perish for lack of knowledge. That's what the Lord says. My people perish for lack of knowledge. And sometimes people read about these intricacies like, oh, I don't get it, so I'm just going to be a baby. Oh, I don't get it, so I'm just going to drink milk. No, don't do that. You need a teacher. You need a pastor. You know what to look for. Very difficult. Very difficult to find. Very difficult to, 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 to read and know the, the biblical qualifications and who is safe to submit yourself to. Very difficult to find. Very rare in these last days. Very, very rare. But when you find it, such a person, such a man will teach you. And then you'll see, wow. He always said it was really simple. And like, I get it now. And it, it really is simple. You see? It's what you... It, Fulfills everything Jesus says. My yoke is easy and my burden is light. But where are the teachers? Corinth didn't have the teachers. Remember, when we make the distinction between Corinthians and Philippians, I mean, look at the saints. I mean, the Corinthians was like, you know, chapter one, chapter two, two books. Because it's like, okay, we, 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 we there's a lot of teaching that has to happen here. But then you look at Philippians, it's like, wow, that's just a little book, little letter. 
You get like a big letter to the Corinthians. Why? Because, okay, we got to go back to the drawing board. We got to, you know, deal with that. Now we have to separate the remnant. Okay, now we have the remnant. Now I say, do I praise you in this? No. Do I praise you in that? No. So now we got to, okay, now, you know, these elementary things, we got to take care of those things. And now we can continue to move on to perfection. But the Philippians? It's just a little book. Little book. And you know what? When Paul writes the Philippians, he includes the pastors, includes the teachers, includes the overseers. In the Corinthians, he excludes the pastors, excludes the overseers. Why? They were defunct. They were disqualified. You say, how could they be disqualified? They disqualified themselves. Remember in uh, uh, Acts 20, the elders of Ephesus, where Paul says, after my departure, he says, I know this, after my departure, ravenous wolves will come in and even from among yourselves. You see, they became defunct. And that's what happened in Corinth. And Paul writes a letter to the Corinthian saints. No mention of the pastors, no mention of, you know, to the Corinthian saints and your pastors. But in Philippi, he says to the, to the Philippian saints and the pastors, the overseers, good shepherds, they have good shepherds. Philippi, good teachers, good pastors. You see, the seven churches in Revelation 2 and 3. The majority, bad pastors. The minority, good pastors. Smyrna, good pastors. Philadelphia, good pastors. The best pastors, Philadelphia. You see? And he did this in verse 27, Hebrews 7, verse 27. He did this once for all when he offered up himself. You see, in verse 28, for the law appoints as high priest men who have weaknesses. It has to. It has to. Why? Because it pertains to the flesh. And the flesh pertains to the flesh. You see, it's the fleshly commandments. I mean, look at Eli. He was appointed as high priest. Look at his flesh. And because of his flesh, look at his blindness. Look at his deafness. Who did the Lord speak to? Not to Eli. You see? The law appoints as high priest men who have weaknesses. But the word of the oath, which was unto Jesus in the order of Melchizedek, of the tribe of Judah, which came after the law, translates in the Greek as joined but still after. And it's the law. Joined, but still after the law. Think of like Sunday and Monday. They're joined, but Monday is after Sunday. Very similar concept. And the word of the oath, as is written here in verse 28, which came after the law, appoints the son who has been perfected forever. You see, this beautiful, beautiful, marvelous, marvelous son of promise. Son of man, son of David, son of God. It's Jesus, high priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. To the beautiful, beautiful people of the way, a remnant of these last days. God bless you. I love you.